Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 27th of September 2020. I should really start by reminding you to take a list of all the sites I have, my official sites, and you'll find them at cuttingthroughthematrix.com on the webpage there. These are my official sites uh, because last week uh, when I was <laughs> uploading my stuff and the company that provides websites, you know, you buy from them, the space it went down the first time. And it was down for a good part of the Monday and then came back on again. I looked and looked and looked to find out if they'd been hacked or whatever and I couldn't find anything in the media. But uh, on the phone to the company, and it was all pleasant and everything else, they said that multiple memory uh, banks had gone down. Uh, so storage banks, I guess. So I really don't know what happened, or if it was just me or or whatever, because we're living in an age now, remember, where intense censorship is going on. And no company wants to get blamed for participating in censoring uh, and going along with government commands and so on. It's really hints, you know, today uh, the censorship is to do with with all providers, for instance, and Facebook is famous for it. That's why part of the reason it was created in the first place, to come to a stage where they could eventually censor you. Once enough enough of you were on it and took it as part of a necessary program, they start censoring you. So it was, it was planned that way. Same with YouTube. Uh, that's why they gave you years and years of free stuff on YouTube, and eventually you see the real purpose of it and the alphabet group that it belongs to. Uh, that's really what the internet's about, it's perpetual re-education of the general public across the planet. But anyway, it's going to cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and I really mean it, because you, eventually, this might happen. This might keep happening until there's nothing left. Maybe one by one they'll go down, but hopefully, as long as it can still tick along, I'll be able to get something up on one of my sites. So cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Uh, you'll see them, the, my official sites listed, make a note of them and save them because uh, you, you probably will end up using them again, I'm sure. If I'm not on on the, on the com site, cuttingthroughthematrix.com on Mondays or whatever, look into the other sites and hopefully I've managed to get my, my talks up on the other, other servers. That's how it's happening. So, uh, that, yeah, that was last week. That, that, and also, the, the time it takes me through the, the actual provider of, of the actual internet, not just the, the ones who, who do the, um, uh, the web hosting sites and so on. Honestly, it'd be faster to dial up, use dial up to put my, my talks up on the, on the Sundays. It, it crawls, it just crawls. And that cannot be just coincidental, obviously. It's not like I'm putting up multi-gigabytes or anything like that. So, but that's the games that go on are, are always are, are perpetual, you know. And it will get worse as we go through the different stages of of lockdown, and along with the lockdown censorship, because you have they've increasing five stages of censorship as as we go up into the supposed COVID crisis idea, according to the event two hundred one. And they got them all color-coded again with all the stuff you learned in old Star Trek movies, starting at yellow alert and all that, all the way up. So, again, so go on to cuttingthroughthematrix.com. By the way, when you're there, remember, throw a few bucks my way. You'll see how to do it. PayPal's fine. Cash is fine. Uh, Checks, okay. 
MoneyGram can be used as well. And uh, and help, helps me tick along, as I say, and keep my sights. Because it costs money. All this costs money. And it's not like I'm selling anything, like T-shirts or mugs or politics. I'm just telling you how the world really is. And maybe from understanding it, you'll be able to understand how you can help yourself and save yourself, or even your friends and families or and so on. Because we're going through an incredible war. This is only part of a very, very long-term war. And you've been living in a, long, a good part of it since you were born. So were your parents. Long-term agendas. But right now they're stepping it up with all the cons out there. And yeah, the very few. You understand, that I, even with the political schemes and so on that go on, I'm very skeptical. I think many of them are really just playing their parts as actors because the overall agenda, the strategy in the dialectic is to get the, the synthesis out of the, the two, uh, the thesis and its counter and antithesis, the two sides or whatever, of every, every side of every story, two sides, and then the resulting synthesis from the arguments or fighting and what goes on. And then it starts all over again using the synthesis uh, as the new uh, thesis, you see. And that's Trotskyism as well as Marxism and Trotskyism, for those who don't understand it. And it works very, very well for those who control it all, because you're in a game, a big massive game on the general public of the planet. And before we've seen it, we've, we've seen decades of, especially in the, in the US, same in Britain too, really, where you can't tell the difference really between the parties when they're in. Because they're all, they're all being vetted by the same authorities to get in in the first place, all the leaders. And they're all members of the Council on Foreign Relations, or in Britain, the Royal Institute of International Affairs. Same in Australia, and uh, New Zealand, India as well. So you're living through a, a prefixed um, and preordained agenda, including elections. And when you, when you vote you, for people to come in, a new party to come in, it's not because you really believe in them. It's, you, you've just lost faith in the one you voted in the last time. As the same old, same old has happened, and the same old wars continue or revamped. And the same funding goes into everything from the taxpayer to pay for all. And you never get anything from, out of these wars. As most folk can't figure out why you have them in the first place. They can't even give you half-decent lies from propaganda. Uh, to justify the wars, because they're not for you, obviously. You have to pay for it all and supply the material and the, the, the bodies that come home in the body bags sometimes. So you're in a big, big agenda. So I don't fall you know, for, for politics, and uh, I don't believe either that you, you, you vote for the lesser of the two evils. If they're evil, they're evil, and you're not going to win. Uh, it's not going to benefit you anyway. Um, so the lesser of the two evils. It's an old strategy that's used by those who really control everything. Uh, to paint one really awful, another one is, is, is pretty well bad, but, and you'll do this, this, and this, but at least you might get that out of it. That's how you fall for these things. And that's not what politics is supposedly about at all. And apart from that, you're run by massive, massive organizations. The tax-free, the tax-exempt foundations. Again, you have to go back into a lot of the origins of them, back into the 19th century as well, and even before that, you know. Because and even under Weishaupt, by the way, in his day, he wasn't the first one to do it. 
But he talked about how they, how they would take over the, the, the nations by uh, their demo, demo, well, a form of democracy. But really through think tanks, he says, you know, and, and, and foundations, charitable. Fa- Who's going to complain about charity? Oh, it's for this, this. And you, you believe, oh, that's nice. You have no idea what's really going on. And you see the massive funding they collect, and, and it's tax-free. And these big foundations can invest across the world and still claim it's tax-free when they bring in billions of dollars a year. Well, how can any democracy function when certain people have armies within your country all funded by these certain peoples, you know? All published, and you know it's all public too. You can't mention some of them because you're, you're cut off immediately. It's forbidden or verboten, as Newt Gingrich said who was cut off in the middle of a, a talk on Fox News because he mentioned a name which he can't mention, even though it's all verified as factual. You, know? you can look it up and you look at the society that he runs and this is out all this money to these different groups. And some of them are classed as, as terrorist groups across the world, color revolutions and so on. CIA, it's all one organization obviously running everything. And uh, But the thing is, yeah, the big foundations really give a lot of information out many, many, you know, years ago. I say far as far back as what you saw up to then later. I think even in um, the 19th century, Gilbert and Sullivan, and uh, one of their, their operas, their comic operas, had um, a song in it about the philanthropist, you know, and a nosy busybody trying to get in and get money off everyone. And he knew everything about everybody, too. It was also an incent, almost like a, a little hint or a wink at blackmail if they didn't comply and, and did, donate cash to the causes that he planned. So this is an old idea. And when you find uh, the people that they set up as multi-front people, uh, and this is how it's really done. People are set up as, as fronts for companies and organizations. It might be real companies, massive companies that are set up, but you'll never get to the bottom of who really owns them. Even the CIA owns some huge, massive, real corporations. And so does, obviously, the groups behind London, the city of London as well, and behind MI6 and MI5. Because that's the real system you're living under. It's a very private system owned by very old organizations and they bring in some new ones as they go along and some of them change their names like a chameleon as they go along too to throw the folk off. They get, they get a bad name on something. They can, they can apparently close down it, but they'll, they'll re-emerge under a different name, you see. And that's how it's really done. They give you the front people, the self-made people, you know, the sudden whiz kids and things like that that you all believe all this guff that they give you to believe in to give a legitimacy to the, to the lie of who they really are. But they're, they're, they're well paid. For the rest of their lives, too, they were taken care of, and they'll be the fronts for one big organization, generally. But they're, they're, they really are. It's like Epstein. Epstein was a front man. You know, you just, do you really believe it's just a horny guy huh, with a lot of money? Do you really believe that absolute nonsense? And how quickly this died off. They didn't go into these handler above them. Two very taboo and, and arrangements had to be made with the CIA and, and governments to, to cash it all up, etc. That's what they do. They, they, they launch people and they, they make them stars in a certain field. And they're really there for different purposes. And um, you'll find, as I say, that Facebook's an obvious one. 
and other ones before too. And definitely, I can remember the, the head of Google many years ago talking about working with uh, GCHQ in Britain, for instance. Well, of course, it's because they're an arm of it, really, uh, or, or they're a part of the intelligence system and, and the intelligence, and they're part of the massive economic system because lots of information came out years later, uh, over the years, actually, which was inevitable, too, of what they did to begin with, which was their, their way ahead of investments. They get all the data of communications about investments, and uh, they, make sh- they can actually sway investments that way, too. Who's going to crash? Who's going to rise, etc.? It's, it's just so corrupt, you know. But you're supposed to believe in all is above board, and your governments are above board, and and who can really believe that in this day and age? Hmm? Does anybody really believe it? Hmm? I mean, does anybody really think they, they even that people actually run their like an individual like Boris Johnson runs the country? Do you really believe that? Or even Donald Trump running the U.S.? Do you really believe that one guy? The deep state isn't just the one and the swamp the draining. It's, it's, it's above and below and to the side of them. That's how the things really are. It's, it's, uh, most of it's illusion, you know. But the big foundations, I've mentioned it before, where at least the U.S. did make an attempt in the 1950s, and actually earlier too, but in the 1950s, I think it was, they had Norman Dodds, go around the foundations with a commission, the Rees Commission, you know, to find out why the these foundations in the U.S., the, the, the branches inside the U.S., like the Ford and the, the Carnegie and um, Rockefeller, etc., why they were funding what seemed to be the radical left that was wanting to tear America down. So here were the richest people at the top who, who began these foundations. Again, front people like the Rockefeller family, you know, who meant, again, to take over all resources. It's still on the go yet, the same, or not just them, but a huge, the huge organization to which they were a part of. It's still on the go. Take all resources over and bring society into a workable size for function and purpose. And uh, it hasn't stopped. It's still on the go today, just the same kind of thing. So anyway, again, you can look up Norman Dodd and his interviews on his surprise and shock when he talked to some of the heads of these, these philanthropic organizations. And I think it was the Ford Foundation that wasn't run by Ford at that time either. It was afterwards. And that's how quickly they had taken over uh, by the same group, I think, that ran maybe the Rockefeller Foundation by then. But anyway, the, the head... Whoever it was, I might be wrong in that last part, but I know that it was taken over eventually by a, a group that already ran other uh, huge foundations. And the head of the Ford one told them, he says, our purpose, or part of our purpose, not the whole thing, right, was to change society and, and education so dramatically inside America and the West that they could eventually merge seamlessly, quite easily, the system of the Soviet Union with that of the American uh, kind of free capitalist type society. And by that, I don't mean the capitalists at the top that run the whole money system. I'm talking about the people in the middle classes and, the, and who ran the economies and, and were the managers of economies and businesses and uh, factories and all that. 
submerge it seamlessly, but primarily through changing education. Well, look at it today, you know, if you haven't figured it out, it's still on the go. It wasn't banned because he mentioned it, <laughs> and they didn't uh, destroy the foundations. They continued as, as they'd done, but, but there were, some of them were more honest in what they were up to. And it was known then, it was so evident then, they were funding what appeared to be communist organizations. Well, in the 1960s, uh, you, you had people, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll say communist, but they were blowing up places across America, mainly in New York and Washington, D.C., and you had the Weather Underground and different front names. Again, they're all names, aren't they? But uh, and again, now you got one of the women who are now in charge. She's in charge of the money coming in uh, by again a person I can't mention <laughs> to fund uh, BLM, which is uh, their own leaders mentioned as communists or they're they're, they're Marxist trained Marxists and so on. So nothing was done the, the previous time, as I've said. And Norman Dodd talked about it, and then the old video is still out there if you want to look it up on YouTube or somewhere. And it's worth going through and listening to because you, you, it's easy enough to speak about things of the past, but at least you have, you, have, you have some visual representation of the people involved or even an audio, then it really adds credence to it, you see. And a lot of these things now are disappearing rather. In fact, in real time, a lot of things are disappearing. You've probably been, those who are in really into investigative work will notice that when you're on a certain, and a lot of this stuff you can't publish, you, you find you really, it's, not, it's not safe. It really isn't safe. In this day and age, in this world, it's not safe. Accidents happen all the time. The pros don't go into the streets and kill folk. Uh, the, the pros, the real pros, make accidents happen all the time. Or sudden illnesses. And I always remember James Goldsmith in Britain, who was a robber baron. You know, he was one of the robber barons during that, that phase where they, they were plundering businesses by, by going in the back door and buying up shares in the family businesses and then destroying the businesses from within by selling off lots of the assets, seeing the stripping it, making it more efficient. But they sold off all the people and, and laid off or fired the guys who really helped keep it going, the older folk, you see. They kept it going. They knew all the ins and ropes and how things worked and so on. And mo- most of them would fall flat after they were sold off again. But he was one of them. He was a corporate raider at the time. And he belonged to some of the big clubs in London that you'd find aristocrats uh, often would almost sell their whole fortune off or give it away in gambling debts and so on. He was part of these, these particular groups a high roller, and um, but he did come out and, t- and come against the, the European Union, and he tried to. He wrote a book too, a very good book on it, and he tried to get them to pull, to pull out long before Nigel Farage came along, and he came over to the states, and he explained in, in really good, eloquent detail why they shouldn't go into this free trade deal with uh, America, the U.S., and Canada. And the one that were setting up at the time with China, because it says, I'll strip you of all your work. There'll be no work for anybody left at home, which is true. And your economies will eventually plummet, you know. And that's exactly where we are with service economies, you see. But it didn't matter. The, and you, he's, there was a video up there, him too, and an audio where he talked to the Senate, the U.S. Senate. It was awfully good, really well done. 
and uh, he put across, his case across very well. He didn't, he didn't fabricate anything or, or go overboard with imagination. He stated the facts as they were at the time, and it's all come true. But anyway, after after he did all that, he he um, he was diagnosed with a cancer, a prostate cancer, and within a week of the diagnosis, I think he was dead. Favorite technique to be used, actually that. So, uh, yeah, accidents happen all the time, and you can't tell the people a lot of the things that you find out anymore. I can remember back in the 90s, where there were people in, in Australia, uh, again, organizations, private organizations, some of them were religious, and folk immediately switch, oh, that's terrible. Well, good for you, you know, turn a blind eye. Because in the, in the business of knowledge, you can look at everything, everything. And you'll find that the people who were really acutely aware of what was happening in the U.S. and elsewhere were, were religious organizations because they had a reason to, to at least look and watch and dissect and try to put things together as to why things were happening. Most of the public in, in, in most ages, um, throughout the 20th century, for instance, apart from the wars and so on, most of them um, really were fed nonsense by the, the television, both in the news and entertainment. That's why they were just lullabied into sleep into oblivion and kept rather docile, uh, but, uh, but definitely kept ignorant of the big pictures, no doubt about it. Even the better documentaries and the better investigations uh, that were like Mike Wallace talks, where he'd ask direct questions, they, they gave you fake ones later on, with with the ones like like Brokaw, Tom Brokaw, and so on, they came out later. But Brokaw and other ones in the sixty minute teams were watered down almost like a like a I call it like a, a Wallace interview, but not quite the same at all. So you'd have the the immediately were the hard nosed journalists when they find out, but really the, the topics they picked were were really trivial. When you look back at it today, and where they were going with it. Around, look at the big, big pictures. The big organisations were altering culture purposely, and so on, like the early Wallace ones were doing. But in Australia, the religious organisations, uh, some of them had been had worked. Some of the people had worked with intelligence communities, and they had tremendous information on even Peter Trudeau of Canada. <laughs> in his background, it came out verified as well. And the and some of them too uh, were top journalists. One of them actually said that uh, about the coming national ID system due to some national emergency that arises before nine eleven. Remember, before COVID, and before the the whole idea of pushing a national ID for everybody or international even. And he, he said that um, some big. Buildings have been built across Australia and the big cities, uh, on outskirts generally, but they were actually owned by the post office. But you didn't go in there to post letters, and it wasn't a sorting office. But these these places were actually to do with with information gathering about the individuals, and also they would be used eventually, eventually, for national IDs, 
well, it was, it was, it was supercomputer systems we were setting up at the time. Canada did this, the same thing with, with super create computers, huge buildings to, to cool these, these huge computers. They can, now, I think Canada was buying about three or four, maybe up to five of them. One of them could run all of the Americas, a supercomputer. So it's never been explained why you hadn't needed all these ones. And Australia was doing the same kind of thing. And the journalist in Australia, a well-known one, said that. It says, I get... I get um, occasional envelope dropped off, brown paper envelope dropped off on my doorstep. So uh, that's how things generally happen, or generally used to happen. Today, uh, I think there's been more more uh, informers, because the, the ones who are watched the most are those who are most to tell you <laughs> in government or agencies and so on. Uh, that's why they're paid so much, that, that generally buys their, their silence. And they're quite happy with that arrangement rather than doing the decent thing and tell the general public whom they pretend to serve. But you, you don't live in a, in a nice, wonderful system. You, you live in a system purposely designed to keep you ignorant, uh, keep you fearful now, of course, that's part of it too. When you're fearful, you can't think straight, you can't make logical decisions. You'll, you'll panic in the panic stage and, and the overkill and the overdrive, psychic driving, Repetition every day in the news with Fauci and the rest of them has been really these, these characters should all be up on charges as crimes against humanity. Those who crashed economies planned it all in advance, obviously. This is a fact, they planned it all in advance. Well, you think you didn't know what would happen if you, if you closed down all industry and all, all, all economy? Well, you eventually have. Uh, who benefits here? Well, the ones who control it all benefit. The World Bank benefits. Huh? Where do you think all the supposed money is coming from? It's all fake. It's all run by a gang of crooks. But, but, but who can just make it up and put it into a computer so many, whatever number they want? Who's checking them? Nobody's checking them. And your government quite, oh, thank goodness we're getting our so many billion this week off so-and-so. And uh, but they pay it back, mind you, off taxes. Well... You're bought and paid for. You're slaves, folks. This is part of it. You're not going to get out of this. And then keep this money racket going again forever. Well, you, you haven't paid off the debt yet. You're still paying off the debt, I think, in some countries uh, for World War One and Two. They haven't been quite finished. How can you how, see it with compound interest? You can never pay it. That's why it's designed that way. Hmm? And as you're paying it off, all these debts... And they give you another crisis, then you borrow again. Yeah? And that's added to the debt, and added, never-ending debt. So you had the characters who planned all this, and who are still in the planning phase of all. Because it's not as it's developing all the time, or they're catching on in this bit, how can we... Or, or step up the, the testing and say there's, there's thousands and millions of new cases across the planet. Well, the testing's so bogus, you know, if I, you've already found it. Um, with the president, was it... Was it Tanzania and uh, Africa, where he tested all kinds, including fruit, and that all came back positive huh? by the World Health Organization lab that did the testing in his country. He kicked them all out, thank goodness. But crimes against humanity, planned eh? for something really where the, where the perpetrators, their names come up. 
in the vaccine companies involved with them. The names come up with all the planned projections. Oh, if a, if a disease broke out, event 201, and even the one back lockstep in 2010 with Rockefeller Foundation. You know, they followed the exact script of their supposed tests, step by step. And then you have the World Economic Forum, to which these giants all belong to. Huh? Talking about the global reset of a whole new way of living or existing. And bringing in all the sustainability agendas that, that we, they couldn't get, get the, couldn't get the public to accept through the climate change agreements. Well, here it all is. There's nothing to guess at here. There's nothing to guess at. And you'll find at the top of the medical industry, the vaccine industry, the pharma industry, with those who coordinate with governmental authorities, you'll always find what? Eugenics. Eugenics is an old, old field <laughs> of not just improvement of certain species or types, you know, certain selective groups, but it's also to do with the eradication of other groups, folks. Well, how do you, how do you eradicate other groups? Hmm? How do you do it? Well, you help them. You help them. That's what you do. We're here to help you. Again, these foundations and charitable organizations. I would even go into all the, all the lawsuits against the foundations of, um, of Bill Gates, you know. And the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation with all their vaccines and, and, and strains of polio that's been created by them and spread with their, with their help. When they're helping people, it's all up there. I might put some more links up again. I'll get fed up doing it. And lots of other groups have, have put up their links as well. Uh, it's overwhelming evidence. Never mind the fact that he's already said on, on camera. Uh, that, oh, maybe 700,000 people across the world will die of the side effects of a vaccine. Well, that was okay with him, this strange character, you know. Um, who, who was not even, he doesn't even have a, have a first aid certificate, this guy. Hmm? He's just a front rich man, a front man. And he belongs to the, the big, the, the nickname was a lucky gene club where they talked about the need to bring down the population across the world. It has a different name, of course, in the, in the optimum population group and so on, yada, 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 whatever they call it today. But I, I, did, I did a talk on it years ago when they, when they had a meeting, they had meetings about it. Oprah Winfrey was a member too, and other ones as well. And they discuss the problems across the world. Well, there's too many. This is an old idea. You've got to understand, people don't, these characters don't think like you. You, you, you turn your head so you know, nobody would do what they, no, that or whatever. I wouldn't do that, so they wouldn't do That's how you think. That's how you think, yeah? That's how they can do these things. And they actually do these things. <laughs> because you, you refuse to believe it, even when it's happening at times. Look at the latest tests that have come out there in the, in the States and, uh, and elsewhere too, by the way, where folk are getting paralyzed, so-called volunteers, they're paid, mind you, are getting paralyzed volunteers testing the vaccine, the vaccines out, and, and they're getting paralyzed, rushed off to hospital here, and they want to put this in you for something that, that most folk don't even get a cough with. Hmm? 
And as I said, the same characters who are pushing it all, the Fouches, are up to their eyeballs and 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 conflicts of interest, not just with the companies that he advocates should get the antivirals and all the rest of it too, and the vaccines makers, you know. He's also up to his eyeballs in verifiable data with supplying coronavirus from the States to the Wuhan laboratory where they did the further gain of function, made it more, you know, deadly. Altered it, you see, to make it more deadly. Just, just to see what would happen if it ever went through a whole bunch of sequences on its own and did it by itself. This is the excuse. This is biowarfare. Biowarfare labs are the same biolabs. They're there to help you if you haven't figured that out. That's how they got around the, uh, the, the treaties in biowarfare. Oh, we're here. Uh, okay, we're actually here now just to help people, you know. So it, it's fascinating to live through it and watch it happening. But yeah, the, the data's out there of who sent it, who okayed it to be sent from the U.S., the coronavirus, where they had it in a, I think, a university in, in North Carolina. And the very fa- and the reason is it was getting sent over there too was because if they did gain a function to this particular virus in America and it somehow escaped, it could cause havoc. So they sent it off to, to the Wuhan laboratory. Supposedly it was continued there, the same, the same kind of thing. And Fauci's got his name all over the, the thing. And then they gave him money too. He okayed the money, so many millions of dollars over for Wuhan to, to continue the research. I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up. You're looking at arch villains. I mean, this is the stuff you'd get in a movie, wouldn't it be? About arch villains and arch criminals in in fiction. (laughs) But it's here in real life. But that's what you better understand. Most horror on on a grand scale is in real life. Absolutely. There are batteries and batteries of propagandists, professional propagandists that can turn the worst disasters or the most searing crimes information against anybody into lukewarm, pleasant, a pleasant summer's day, you know. Once you get finished whitewashing everything. And that's how the world works. But people really do think, yeah, the leaders are running your countries. They really believe that. Mainly in America, actually. The U.S. is a bit unique in that respect. They've got this. They used to have the the whole real the real patriotic fervor for their nation, and every child used to have the hand over the heart and and sing, you know, the anthem. And they believed in it then, and it was in this. And the country was far better on all scale levels of class systems, put that way, the working class too, far better than the rest of the world at the time. I don't, yeah, it wasn't perfect, by him, but it certainly had incomes uh, for the people, you know, if you wanted it. For a time. And then it got involved in, it was taken over, really. But, but, in rea- but they, they got involved in the very thing they weren't supposed to, foreign wars. We're supposed to beware and not get involved in entanglements and foreign wars. Entanglements through treaties, you see. The very thing that Britain kept falling for World War I and World War II. 
the games they do with, with treaties. So, well, when we are treated with so-and-so, so-and-so and so attacks them, uh, then we have to go to their aid. And before you know it, you've got these massive, uh, non, uh, never-ending wars on the go. The balance of power structure. And how the balance of, of power structure works with the city of London. That they ran Britain and the UK and the British Empire. That's where all the decisions were made. Not just for financial gain, but by those who owned the financial systems. That's what they were about. And they had incredible knowledge of history and the balance of power. What they meant by it, you, you look at an area where there's things that you want for, for the company or the guys who own the corporations and for resources and so on. And um, so it's, it's just strategy as well, but it's also, and it's not just, they use geopolitics, but the th- what they'll do is that they'll look at, to get the smaller countries that are near a big dominant country and if you want to just say, well, we, that dominant country can afford a big navy. If not now, then eventually. And uh, they might interfere with our plans for ongoing conquest and, and of acquisitions of natural resources and properties and diamonds and gold and everything else. Yeah? And so what you do is you then start funding the small nations around them and say, well, they're victimized by the big one, you see. And you get them eventually to, to have their skirmishes, then you finance them more with, with little caveats and all the money you're giving them. Eh? And then you arm them and you get wars going. And you may go to their assistance if they can't manage it themselves. Uh, but if they, if they can manage it regardless, they're not down the big one, you see. So now that, that, that potential future enemy is gone before it starts. Then you can get into all the land that he was going to control, or did already, or even his own land. And also, um, but then you got the, the two little, let me say two little countries that you'd propped up to fight the biggie. So then what you do then, you, you take the, the smaller one of the two, and you finance them. And then you, oh, the, 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 this human race is awful in the bigger one there. Uh, terrible, terrible, and so the propaganda's churned out again. And before you know it, uh, you're funding the small one to fight the big one. That's how you do it. And this, is, this goes on and on forever, like centuries at times. Perpetual conquest. And you always do, oh, look at what they do in that country with their, with their laws and so on. That's terrible, terrible. We don't do that anymore. And, and so, you go, so, so, okay, go over there and kill them all. Eh? <laughs> okay, because the, and people fall for this basic simplistic propaganda. Yeah? It's astonishing. When uh, the PNAC group were running the U.S. openly under the Bush Jr. administration after 9-11, before and after, the propaganda they churned out was just astonishingly simple for, for really, for the different levels, but mainly aimed at the, the general population. And it was rather sad to be aimed at the general population. I can remember the head of one of the educational departments in the States, and who was in politics at the time in the States, said years ago that the average reading capability of the average American at the time was, was something like a grade five or six level. So, so all news had to be written to get to, to that level of education. No, no higher. 
no superfluous detail on it or, or intricacy of detail because the people would switch off. They couldn't comprehend it. That's what they said. I, I read the articles years ago on a radio show, live at the time. But nothing's changed, but the propaganda is the same. And so when they wanted to go into Iraq, they had nothing to do with 9-11, by the way. Again, that didn't matter either at the time. Then, because it was on the list before 9-11 even happened. But anyway, the, the famous PNAC list, but anyway, some of the propaganda that came out at the time, they make their women wear burqas. So that's okay. That's a reason to go and kill people, like million, about a million people, because... Do you, do you understand? They're trying to cater to every every radicalized group in your own country. They're hypersensitive to anything, and they're hyper hypersensitized group uh, to to get them on board with it too. So aim at radicalized feminism, the radical groups. Well, yeah, let's go and kill them. They make their wives wear. So let's kill them all. That that will solve it. Isn't isn't that a good solution? Eh? Let's kill them all. <laughs> Uh, well, unfortunately, the cluster bombs aren't really particular in who they're killing, men, women, or children, burkers or not. But uh, facts don't matter when it comes to basic propaganda. And it is basic. It's, it's never truthful about the real reasons for anything. That's the, that's the, the sad tragedy of it all, too. And you can go on forever with this kind of stuff if you've read enough history, and, and even if you've lived enough history yourself. To validate it, because most of real history that you'll get, you validate by, by you're alive at the time. And if you're cognizant of what's going on, then, you, you know, you, you, eventually the picture will force itself upon you, whether you like, you like it or not. That's going to show you what happened, because your, your memory contains it all. That's real history. Not the authorized versions. They're, they're pre-written before the events happen. It's like World War II. Britain lived for a while on pure nostalgia of, of propaganda about World War War Two. World War Two was the final nail in the coffin. It just sped up the, the death of Britain faster because of the money they owed from World War One. But the guff that they churned out and the old movies they churned out, like post propaganda post war propaganda, they had some during the war, not so many as Americans did, but but after the war too they had the guns of Navarone and things like that. And, uh, it's it's like living on 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 some on a glory time that really wasn't glory at all, was it? For most folk, they were living through the death knell of of their nations, really. And uh, again, someone had sent me it was a great disc on British propaganda from the from the ministries, meaning the different departments of the government of Britain, uh, all to do with rationing. And how to divvy up your ration cards and how to use them wisely. You know, it's like COVID all over again. Only it's to do with uh, with food. You'll, you'll get it down the road eventually because they will bring in rationing. They want to bring in rationing, and no doubt they will. But the they showed you uh, the woman going into uh, the stores and the butcher shops and getting a little slice of this. I've got a slice of corned beef that was a week's rations. I think one person, and, and you get so much, so many eggs a week. Now is it? For protein and um, but, but protein was hard to get of any kind at all because of the war, as you said. 
and how they trained the public that there's no options to make them all pulled together. And, and really all kinds of illnesses you hadn't seen since the, the, the 19th century and the 18th century all broke out again because the health started going down the tubes. They kept it so quiet from the general population. It wasn't just rickets, but they had rickets in children. Uh, because And you'd see the bow legs even into the 50s, etc. Children um, who had lacked the, the proper uh, calcium and vitamin D and so on. But you also had all kinds of other illnesses that broke out of the lack of proper nourishment, food and vitamins and minerals. That's part of the price they paid for it. The elite never had a problem like that at all during it all because there was had their own suppliers of the black market that could supply anything that they needed, so there's no shortage for them. But even, as I say, the propaganda they were living on after the World War II, right up into the 60s and 70s at times, uh, is rather sad. And it's so true, when any nation resurrects a past and puts the nostalgic touch to it. There's different reasons for it. Part of it, the public, part of the reason the public like it is because generally the time you're living in now is even worse. Or, or you lack more moral values today so it's not so, if you don't feel quite so safe in your own neighborhoods and so on, even in the UK. Things like that. But a nostalgia for a time they had the impression of everything being secure, even if it wasn't really, you know. And it's the same with the, with the wars. We look back at, we did that back then. No, Britain was, was you know, Britain. <laughs> the war did not start the way it was said to start in the authorised versions that came out. We know that now, a lot was admitted to, because you can't keep it all dead quiet. But, uh, I mean, Britain was the first to bomb Germany to get retaliatory air raids going, for those who don't know it. It's astonishing what the folk really don't know. And and it's hard for people when you're brought up in, with the propaganda and you, and you know all your relatives have been involved in something like that, and your, maybe your uncles or even your parents at times, and even the ones that weren't old enough to fight, you'd hear their stories of rationing and how they all pulled together for the common good and all that. All that kind of stuff you're hearing about the COVID standard. We're on it together stuff. Um, it's sad when, when information starts to come out to realize that, no, you'd all been let down. You'd all been let down. And used for other purposes, they had they had literally they had the, the the embryo the embryonic agreements set up before World War Two, and during World War Two they're working on it for a post World War Two European Union. Meanwhile, they're telling the people to go off and fight uh, Nazism in order to to save your culture and your way of life, uh, which was decimated after World War Two. You're used and used and used, and, and it's an awful thing for people. They have a breakdown. It's like the death, a death of someone. You have a breakdown. You go into utter despair initially, then anger when it starts to dawn on you when someone's died. You know, Why did you leave me now, for goodness sake? You know, you know, that kind of thing. You go through all these different phases. It's the same thing. You go through a death uh, of, a, of a sort when you realize that there's no such thing as, as democracy. <laughs> 
and the things you stood up for, even fought and maybe other people died for, were wrong. You know, you were used. And I've got to say this, that there are many examples of the, the psychopaths giving you. Because psychopaths can be awfully honest at times. Because they're nat by nature arrogant, you see. And sometimes they'd like to even boast about what they've done and how clever they were in, in doing it. But you'll find that Kissinger did say, and the quotes are there, you know, that the military, people, people in the military are dumb, these are his words, by the way, dumb, stupid animals who are used for foreign policy. He despised them. I remember Bill Clinton said something similar, and there was articles in the paper how Clinton despised the military too. They always despise them because they despise folk who fall for such simplistic propaganda, made-up propaganda. That's part of it, I think. They despise people who, who, th who go into these things because they feel patriotic. They despise them for their gullibility and naivety. And sometimes they show it. They'll use them. But it doesn't stop with the military. These characters affect the nations. And that's how they see all of you as well. All of you. That's why George Bush Jr., in an interview, after he was out of office for a few years, stated he was talking about getting America into U.S., into, into wars, huge wars, which they did want. And we knew that from the PNAC group. He was part of the PNAC group, too, before he got in. They had a list of countries they wanted to take out. We know now why, but we don't even met they're supposed to talk about it. But Bush said that. He, says, he said, if the public... I remember he was saying to the interviewer, I remember saying to so-and-so, you know, if they ever find out what we've done, getting the country, I mean, all the nonsense to get the country into war. He says, if, they ever, if the public ever find out what we've done, they'll chase us down the streets with ropes in their hands. That's what, and he, and he, he laughed about it. But it was his admission, too, <laughs> of, to an extent, what they had done getting America into these wars. Pre-planned wars, eh? So they, they like to boast as well. But uh, it, it doesn't change it. Psychopaths are, are pre-selected. Psychopaths can be awfully good at times in, in what they do if, if, they're, if they're into the sciences or the, or the bio-warfare labs, that type of thing. Yeah. They can be awfully good at what they do. Because generally... Being a psychopath, they don't have the, the little thoughts that cross your mind. Uh, little, little, you, 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 they say that they love sex above any other group because they have no inhibitions, no guilt complexes. They, don't, they, they can't have anything that interferes with their ego. And guilt is something they will not, and anxiety is something that they won't just not tolerate. They won't have. They don't have it. I would crush them, destroy them, if they felt anything like guilt or anxiety. They're very cool, calm characters. But you'll find them up in the, the echelons of power and in, say, the bio-warfare labs where they can go to work every day. And like, like the, 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 the art, the, that shows a good article um, 
I don't know if it's a telegraph I put it out. I've mentioned it before. I've got it somewhere. A, a, a real from the that real newspaper, <laughs> and uh, it was a, a, an interview got into a, a journalist got into Porton Down. I've mentioned it before in in England. Porton Down, and uh, that was a big bio warfare. Part of his his job is bio warfare, um, and a lot of other research too. It was, it's almost like a DARPA type facility. And they create bio weaponry there, and but they also created, but worked on radar there during World War Two. And uh, guess who was put in charge of it? At one point, it was it was Victor Rothschild, <laughs> believe it or not. And it's been disclosed since that he gave a lot of the the stuff for radar and other things to other th- very important things to the Soviet Russia and and, and to, to Israel eventually as well after the war, because he was still in charge of the intelligence services. Literally, he was. They put him in charge. The main, the main suspect was put in charge of uh, the, the, the five-tiered, layered system of, of combined intelligence agencies for Britain. Another story, but again, getting back to, to Portendown. They have a, a, a bio lab there, and this, this journalist got in to listen and talk to the, to the scientists, and he's, he joined them at their, their air coffee, their coffee before they started work, where they were casually talking about, you know, Doing their gardening in the mornings, you know, and things like that, and tending the roses, etc. Things that you would say, that's that's these are nice people, and maybe even kissing their wives goodbye or their children, and and then then they talk about what they're working, not not in great detail and classified material, but how they're they're working. They, oh yeah, he says we we one of them says yeah we we we've got all these ethnic specific viruses, and this is back in what was the eighties maybe. Maybe the 1980s. But he said, yeah, he says we've got viruses so well designed they can rampage through a country. Uh, You can program for any age group, by the way, you know, to specifically attack any particular age group. But he also said they can can rampage themselves through a country in a week or two weeks and then then just die off quickly. They're they're pre-programmed in a sense. They multiply so many times. It's just astonishing what they've done with them all. But is it really astonishing when you see the countless money, unlimited money that these organizations, these these defense agencies get? But they talk calmly about it, as though they were talking about making uh, the best way to package margarine. You know, that's that's how casually it was. There was nothing. Uh, you you wouldn't. You, it, the shock comes when you realize you're you're, you're meeting people who, who are intelligent people. Talking about the the death industry, that there's no other reason for it. It's a massive death industry of silent weaponry. Yeah. Every country's got their own labs and this kind of thing. Yeah. And then you tie that in with the fact that you are shocked. Because you thought they were just normal, decent, you know, people. They might not even mind as neighbors. Do you realize what they did? And they didn't go home at night and sit and fret and worry or have nightmares. or that psychopath, Psychopaths handle this quite well. But that's the same characters they, they surround prime ministers and presidents with. And above them is higher levels that are there professionally. Do you really think someone could be appointed, say in Britain, as an example, 
the minister, meaning the politician appointed to be the head of the health industry for, for a term or whatever, or, or and then moved halfway through it as a juggler, the, the musical chairs, and put them in charge of um, unemployment money or whatever happens to be, or some they know nothing. These politicians, they're not experts in any of these fields. There's a permanent staff there in civil service, and civil service also has private partnerships working in with them, and they've had that for as long as I can remember. Long before you heard of public-private for roads and so on, and big service industries, as they like to call themselves. But yeah, they have private ones. They got private ones in for the NAFTA deal for Canada. They were pretty well put in charge of the departments in Ottawa and the government to deal with the whole negotiations, private characters like Simon Reisman. So it goes against this whole idea. What's the whole point of voting when your, your governments are run by private individuals you don't even know exist, never mind organizations that you don't even know exist? What's the point in having politicians who are given a script to read because they really don't understand what they're being put in charge of? And they have to give, have the head of that department in civil service always run up to them with, this is what you'll say today for this particular part of, of, of our, our future programs. Because they haven't got a clue. You wouldn't know either. But the civil service staff certainly do. And that's what they're there for. So why not just do away with the politicians and just have the heads of the civil service departments come out and dictate to us rather than the, these pathetic politicians? is to keep the illusion going that you you've got a say in something <laughs> a badly a badly frayed and tattered uh, idea so when superpowers end up on the wane then they, they begin to rom- romanticize the past and um, since it's, it's kind of you can't really relate to to old battles in the middle ages with knights in shining armor right so they tend to go to the last big battles, big wars. And with Britain, of course, it was World War II, it was a big one. Then after that, the Korean War and so on. But you can't, it doesn't ring with most folk, the Korean War. And so they romanticize, on, whether on the wane, as I say, World War II. And they turned even Dunkirk into a kind of a, like, a, like it was some kind of um, success story. Like a great win, but it wasn't a win at all. It was a symbol of the disaster that was uh, facing Britain, not just during the war, but afterwards as well. I remember pondering the, all of that too, that how it happened, and, and I dug into the what caused uh, uh, World War One, the, the causes that were given basically, and then try to find the real causes behind it. And then you find out, again, the authorized versions are so bogus. But what was very true was the incredible debt that Britain took on from American banks during World War II. That's why the U.S. kept out of it until the last year. And even then, they were pressured to go in by Warburg because they were the, the investors were afraid they might lose their, their investments, you see. So they got America to go in at the end and pay for it too, naturally, and and help them to win. And also finance, as I said before, they financed the communists. The big bankers in America financed the communists and sent money over with Trotsky and others as well. 
whom they trained, uh, radical armies of the Bolsheviks in the US. That all came out years later too. But I, I remember reading too about and watching an old documentary, it's an old, an old movie reel actually, of the League of Nations after World War I. And uh, I kept wondering, well, how, how did Britain be so broke when World War II broke out? They didn't even have enough rifles for the troops, for the new conscripts and so on. Uh, what happened to all, I mean, massive stocks of the same rifles that they'd used for a long time, the Pattern 303, uh, Enfield, you know. And what happened to them? You know, what happened? They were so short. And then I saw this, this documentary an old music movie reel on Britain and doing its bit for the League of Nations, the precursor of the United Nations, between the wars, you see. And and you see them at at sea, uh, these ships at sea and barges were towing out, you see, and they were dumping thousands and thousands and thousands of, of rifles into the ocean under the disarmament treaties. And billions of rounds of ammunition and shells and goodness knows what. Uh, uh, they proved that they were going to de- they were de- all right up until until World War Two started. Can you believe it? Who's behind this? Who is who's behind this is all planned, folks. Who benefits? Well, who supplies the money to buy the darn things? The debt, in other words, that you take on. And who also has got the factories that churns out the, the, the ammunitions and it's great business for them. You know? And literally when they had their, uh, their home guard units assembled uh, to defend Britain in case it did get invaded, like they had in a Dad's Army comedy series, but they did have a real, a real Dad's Army in a sense, a real defense volunteers corps. They had to, literally, you'll see them practicing with broomsticks and anything to get their hands on, kitchen knives and things, because they didn't have the armament, because they dumped so much in the sea. You you couldn't be so stupid as to do that, unless it was planned that way, for a bigger, they knew that they were going to have another war, obviously. They didn't think that suddenly humankind had become so nice to each other, that that's not the history of the world. But but there you go, that's just the kind of nonsense they do. So at the end of it, of course, when folk get stranded over there, driven off to the beaches, and need to get picked up by boats, the the victory truly was that folk, ordinary folk, and and middle class too that had the boats at the time, took everything they had across to try and get troops across. And of course ships did their bit as well, but it it was a really disaster. The whole darn thing was a disaster. And um, badly planned, badly organized, massively under-equipped, and uh, and and they, but they still make a make a, a victory out of it, really, hmm? a victory. You, you you've got to look at reality at times, and it's like the Dieppe raid. You know, Dieppe was it was a big big catastrophe for, for mainly for Canada. A, a, a raid on the coast of France 
almost like a, a fishing expedition to see uh, how well the defences would be with the Germans and the coast of France. And they picked Canada. And it was Winston Churchill's. He gave the, the task to someone who wanted to be in in the war. And that was Earl Mountbatten, Lord Mountbatten, who literally was a... He, he, oh, it was beyond a catastrophe. It was murder. All the reports came in through reconnaissance and aerial that the place was so well fortified that they got wind of, of what was going to happen. And so the Germans had fortified the, the defences. But And even though all this came out, it seems to be better call it off. It's not going to, it's going to, they, they sent it ahead anyway and they got slaughtered. Terrible. These are your geniuses that run you. Well, no. But what I'm getting at is there's always bigger plans. And the characters who play with you uh, play with toy soldiers the same way as well, like Mountbatten did. And so did Churchill, by the way. They had these big um, battlefield sets for, their, for their, their homes, the big, big mansions they lived in. And that's what they played with. So it really wasn't that different from putting real bodies in there. They had the same indifference, I really think, being psychopathic, those types. That's, that's my opinion, you know. But regardless, uh, you, you see the setups to the wars, and during the war too, you have Winston Churchill giving talks about this could help get a united Europe or, or dream. Whose dream? Who, who's, he, who's our? Who are we? <laughs> who's he talking about? Hmm? When they make these references, you understand they're not they're not referring to to what you think is like somehow it's as you as, as someone in Britain, your idea. You're all collectively part of it. No, they have a different agenda. It's like Spike Milligan was a comedian who some folk thought was funny, some didn't. But he did have mental illness. He did perhaps a bit of manic depression. And and definitely the depressive phase came across. But he could be funny at times too. And he had a breakdown, I think, during World War Two in the artillery. But he did mention that he first felt it coming on. When he hit one of the beaches, he says, he says, um, when they opened up with their heavy artillery, he was in the artill- artillery himself. But he, he says, when they opened up their artillery, he says, and he, all you can do is lie there and bite into the ground and just hope you don't get blown to pieces. Then your mind thinks how, how, how indifferent this whole thing is. It's not a person, it's completely indifferent who gets slaughtered. Because as I say, I've said so many times, we all live in little bubbles, and you can't imagine your little bubble just getting wiped out by some some bigger influence than yourself. Eh? When you're young, especially. But he also say, came out with a good quip, and he said, "Again, the we thing when they, when, they, when suddenly you're collectively we." He says, "I remember when when Chamberlain came back. And he says, uh, well, and he gave his speech on the radio that.'" That, that we are now at war with Germany. He says, I like the we part. He says, I wasn't consulted. And that's how it's done, isn't it? Of course you're not consulted. But you pay for it all in one way or another, maybe your life too. Big agendas, big global agendas. And we know that the biggest um, internationalists for globalization, for owning the world, by the way, were based in England and London, yeah? The big organizations that gave you and brought the the the, uh, the British Empire into into being. 
private clubs, basically massive organizations, but very private. And that's the group, of course, that quickly talked about for the British branch, the headquarters and the, the, the secondary branch that came off for America, CFR. And that's how the world's run. It hasn't been, it has never changed. They, they, these big foundations and organizations don't just give up and say, well, we've completed our task. Uh, that's it over. They, they continue down through generations, eh? They're generations. Any competition, this is something to look at too, I've noticed. Any competition to the big foundations. Now, the, found, the foundations, as I say, just like communism with all its foundations, eh? Back all, under different names of communism, Marxism, Trotskyism, blah blah blah, uh, society for blah blah blah, all these different names that they have for the same huge umbrella organization are so well funded uh, that they have full time employees, you know, hundreds, sometimes thousands, in some of them at the top, like a massive bureaucracy, who hire and and get trained and work their lives and retire with pensions and. By that time, there's others taking over, just like any big, big business. But unlike business, some businesses can go under. These big foundations don't, you see. They've got unlimited investments at the same time, even though they're tax-free foundations. Unlimited. They get taxed on nothing, you see. They can't lose. But they can set up their goals or their manifestos and have all the different things they want to achieve and work for a century or two to achieve it all and add to it as they, as they accomplish parts of the task and have new parts they want to accomplish or conquer too. So that's how it's done. You have no say. This is what runs the world, not, not your governments. That's what runs the world, private foundations they have thousands, thousands of non-governmental organizations under them and armies of them, from the street fighters to color revolutions to protest groups to many organizations of civil rights groups that, that, that are fighting for things you'd have even thought of, yeah, and probably never will. But there's they're really uh, armies to, to destabilize and alter and destroy and rebuild by design, not by happenstance and evolution, but by design, by those in control. That's the important part of it. The United Nations likes to refer to them, and so does the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, as, as state actors and non-state actors. And you also have civic actors, you see, and, so, and NGOs. And the NGO groups, this is, I say, there are thousands of them, fully trained professionals, most of the, the leaders are, for sure with incredible financing going towards them, all shaping opinions, cultural changes across the board in every country on the planet, and getting paid to do it and trained to do it and how to do it and so on. But always pretending they're just a, a local group, you know, just for, for blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Until you're in a straitjacket imprisonment system of organizations. They keep giving themselves more authority like grafting themselves as a, a little charitable volunteer group onto your local councils until you can't put a garden shed in without a sustainability and ecological survey and paying for all. And how are you going to drive, not drive? Should you drive or should you just get a bicycle? 
if you're 90 years old, etc. And that's how it's done. This is what runs the world. Actors, state actors, non-state actors, and non-governmental organization, industry complex. That's what it is, it's a massive industry, isn't it? And because you don't vote them in, they can do what they want. And the governments pretend that they're, well, we'll have to listen to them, you know. Do you? Do you? Why do you have to listen to them when you won't listen to some spontaneous group that goes with a petition about unlocking us all from COVID? How come you don't get any any credence given to you? But any on NGO with the proper titles of who backs them financially has got immediate access to governments. You're living in a farce of authoritarianism. An absolute farce. And you don't get a single leader coming out with a uniform so you can hate them. You know, like the Goldstein of 1984 with your two minutes of hate every day. You know, you're giving other ones to hate, other groups to hate, and, and fake ones as well to hate. They've fomented so much hate absolutely in the States right now. It's astonishing to watch it happening. The, the usual groups are coming out and saying, oh, it's really white groups are, are, are the biggest problem in America. They were saying that back in the 90s. Same groups. As America's burning. But they won't say that about the white folk leading the Black Lives Matter. Who are they really? Well, we know who they are. And they are part of the NGO industry groups. Complex. The NGO industry complex. Incredibly well-financed and trained at the top. But they always blame a different target of it because it's a target that might, that might, if they ever did stand up, they're most afraid of. So keep them whimpering and scared and, and, and silent and, and get, get them guilt-ridden with stuff they haven't done. And you've neutralized them all psychological warfare tactics and using threat and fear at the same time. Nothing happens by itself. The, Albert Pike said it when he was, don't forget, again, he was part, not just Freemasonry, but part of the World Revolutionary Movement, if not the actual main one at the time, and trained Mazzini, and, and he, went, he went out to take over from, from Pike. But the, the thing is, the, the Pike said it so well, he said, how, how does something grow? Huh? Like, like something in a field, a tree. Can you just throw the seed there and it'll grow? Well, you might with a bit of, an awful lot of luck. Huh? But really, if you want to make something happen, you plan it to happen. You prepare the ground. And you get the weeds out. And you, and you churn the soil to get the air into it. You see, that's what helps and so on. It helps the worms and insects and all the bacteria to flourish that it's going to be necessary for the health and survival of that tree. So you do all that kind of stuff in advance. You might even add certain things to, to the to the soil to make it better, you see. Like compost, things like that. And then you then you you at the right you put the, the, the seed down at the right depth, you see, and with the better depth for survival. And then you cover it and then you and then you, you wait and then you take care of it, the seedling coming up. It's all preparation. And he said, We never ever and here's something that's very relevant for today. Start a premature revolution. Because a revolution, you see, is just like all the preparation that goes in 
before you put the seed in the ground to plant for the tree to grow. That's what revolution, a truly well-planned revolution. You prepare the ground. Well, what's the ground? It's a general society. The ground is a target group in revolution. Target group. Those who may oppose you, well, how would you stop them from opposing you? Take your time. Make sure that you run the school system, but you've taken it all over long ago, which is true in America and elsewhere. That's what UNICEF was part of too, mind you, part of its purpose. And the main worry you're going to have are the males in the populations. So you introduce a different schooling system where you, where you, where you have group consensus in classrooms, knowing that most youngsters want to be accepted by the peer group. They don't want to be shunned. But you can bring in a system whereby if they don't agree with the final uh, uh, diagnosis, say I call it diagnosing a symptom of, of, of whatever it happens to be the topic is, you diagnose where they're going, they want you to take you to the conclusion. Well, it's like a diagnosis in a sense. And you won't go where the teacher with the toolkit techniques of psychology is taught to try to bring you all to, if one stands out and says, no, I don't agree with that, you know. I wouldn't do that in this circumstance. Well, then you get shunned. Oh, that's terrible. You mean you'd, 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 you wouldn't want to do that. And so this certain group over in that country might feel bad or they might suffer because people like you made it so you wouldn't. You see how they get shamed, shamed, shamed. Yeah? Consequences and shame. Things have not even happened. And also, so, so the guys, it's generally guys with leadership qualities and abilities uh, that will, will speak out. They think things through. You know, a bit more clearly, is wait a minute here, you know, if we all do this, we'll all end up being wimps, and that's exactly what the whole thing is about. Because they bring in afterwards zero tolerance. If you get struck at school, don't fight back. It's a crime to fight back. And you wait years of this indoctrination, and maybe 10 to 20 years later, you start a real revolution inside the country. And most folk, that what you call decent folk, right? The ones, their indoctrination has worked on them. Won't, won't, won't stop a, a, a new group being riled up and raised, huh? raised differently to hate the group that's now adults. <laughs> that's, you can understand, it's really nice tactics for, for those into warfare games, etc., obviously. But... Um, it works awfully well, and it's not genius, really. It's been done before, done through time. But yeah, you, you raise up the group. Once you've, you've, you've neutered a previous generation, then, and uh, whoever children grew up for in 10, 15, 20 years, uh, you make sure that you've radicalized them to hate. Oh, they've destroyed the planet. They're terrible. And all different kind of things are added into it, gender differences, things like that. And you stir the pot up and you radicalize them through it. Intensive indoctrination. The same schools that 20 years ago were, were teaching a generation, uh, or 25 years, a generation not to fight back and to be nice and agreeable and have group consensus. Now you've got this group, a different group, who definitely still have the consensus, but it's a radicalized consensus to hate anybody who's not part of the authorized revolution. It's all been done in advance, you see. And you paid for all through your tax money. Of course you did. 
This is, I'm not the only, the people at the top all know this because they're part of it all. And that's how it's done. And that's why you're watching the, the, these Pharisees in the cities of, of, of mobs being led, guided, uh, financed, incredibly well financed at the top. And the people leading these, these revolutionary movements, are, they'll come out as millionaires, some of them, the leaders, some of the leaders on the streets I'm talking about. The ones who are really well trained, who, and you see them bust from, from, from town to town, city to city, and state to state, a lot of them, right? They're well trained for what they're doing. They're, they're get, they get the danger pay of, of combat troops. Really. But they'll get more than that too, for because they're, if they're good spokespeople, they'll know how to keep their group in line and to, and to radicalize them further and to keep, keep quiet what their real functions and their real goals and objectives are. You must, they're really good mercenaries, these characters. And with unlimited financing, like all, all these operations, a lot, most of the money goes into the pockets and it's not even <laughs> accounted for. So I'm, I'm, I really mean it. Some of them uh, know darn well they'll come out as millionaires. Some of them did. They worked over in the Middle East as mercenaries for their own governments. So anyway, we're, we're living through amazing times and amazing systems. And it works because the, the ground was, was prepared. And general society was taught to feel bad about things, which had nothing to do with. Uh, you shouldn't be, I mean, you think about it too. Uh, I won't even fall into the, the nonsense. I understand it too well. I, I could give talks on it, no problem at all, about the critical theory, etc., and how the Marxists. That's all part of destabilizing through guilt and complexes, creating a new system of class. Those those who who have who are, have the benefits of being the most victimized are the, are the higher classes. And this is their criteria now. And uh, if you if you were one of the perpetrators, maybe five hundred years ago, or maybe 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 with any with a possibility of an ancestor being involved somewhere, or even in the genetic line somewhere, then it's um you're you're, you're maybe in the middle. And and if you uh, are one of the designated enemy, then you're in the you're in the lower classes. Absolutely, it's all your fault. Not, that's all the world's your fault. <laughs> And it's incredible how they've worked on people like that. Eh? Nothing to do with you. Any more than, than, than what the Romans did in ancient times has anything to do with you either. You're only responsible for yourselves now. Not what anybody did in the past. But see, it, this is warfare strategy. This is what Marxism is. This is warfare strategy used by the richest folk on the planet who run the whole system and they're on all sides at the top. So you can go through your whole life just shaking your head on data. Oh my goodness, you know what they're doing now? Do you believe what Trump said today? Do you really do you believe what Hillary's advocating if Trump doesn't leave out? No, you get this your entire life, this, this stuff. It's a big play, a big stage. Like Shakespeare said it, you know, the whole world's a stage and we're but the players. There's more truth to that than you'd imagine. Absolutely. No doubt at all about it. As I say, when folk are left to, to try and vote between the lesser two evils, you're, you're not given choice at all, that really. And then when you vote the one in, it's less of the two evils. You wonder, well, what country is he serving? What is he serving? Yeah. You have to wonder at times, eh? He's good at putting proposals across, but all, all the proposals, you know, go nowhere. So it's, it's good for publicity. Like, like uh, he was going to put down, I think, with, with uh, Antifa as a terrorist group. 
I thought there already were a terrorist group. Any group that <laughs> advocates a complete overthrow of your governmental system and your constitution is automatically a terrorist group. What, what, what part of that don't you understand? <laughs> again, as I've mentioned it before, even recently again, I mentioned how come Karl Marx was allowed to, to live in London? He was financed and put up there. He was even given uh, grants occasionally from, from different people in the bureaucracies and in, uh, in the elite families in Britain. Well, he was doing his, his whole thing on the manifesto. And he don't forget, too, he was no person that drafted that darn thing up. But he's the front man again for that particular project. His name wasn't even on the original books, you know, the manifesto. That's quite something, isn't it? Everything's really something else. But again, when you start talking or thinking, things come to you. Now, I was thinking about the Karl Marx and, and how he did. He did telegraph Abraham Lincoln. The records are in the, the U.S. Congress. All records they have it, that he congratulated Lincoln for 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 you know sticking it out with the war and keeping America unified. Centralization of authority, a prime plank of the manifesto. Is it? But also, I think it was in his second or third version, uh, Karl Marx, he wanted to, to bring in Darwin into his book and mention Darwin and, and put his name in print in the book as a tribute to Darwin. So that's what, what he said. But in reality, it was, uh, I'm talking about Charles Darwin, but he, in reality, it was to try to give legitimacy to what was to become or they hoped a, a science, a social science, you see, through, through this idea of what later became came known as communism, a, a, a kind of social science, a, socio, a sociological science, if you like. And uh, and the more names he got put in print, the back to his book, that we give a kind word to his book, he put in print. As many even modern books do the same thing. Uh, oh, it's a wonderful book by so and so says so and so off the, and they'll name a paper or whatever happens to be here, institution. Well, that's what he wanted, and Darwin did agree with it, and they pulled out eventually, thinking that it might it might um, tarnish his reputation, to be in any way associated with the idea of revolution. But the whole idea of eugenics was part of the revolutionary movement, for those who haven't figured it out. The revolutionary movement uses all sides. It creates sides. It will use them all in unison at times. And other times it will seem to have them fighting each other to get the changes through, again, the dialectic process. And you find that... um, Darwin's ideas, which were plagiarized a lot of them from Wallace, you know, who did the actual real legwork, living in jungles and things, and studying and sending it back to, to Darwin, to, to, their also, to actually to Darwin and their all society. And, but their all society had agreed to, to promote Darwin up there because Darwin had the right genes. I really mean that. You know? you mean, eugenics was on the go before Darwin came along, and his family were completely intermarried through generations, just with just with the Wedgwood family. That was it. Fathers, grandfathers, and Darwin himself. They were selectively picking um, appropriate inbreeding, they thought, you know. 
as is you know so you can, you can go you can really run with this stuff is it this is all verifiable there's nothing fake about it but yeah, legitimacy was was to be given. Yeah, but the, the nobility grabbed it and said, "Well, we always said that that the peasant class were different, you know." And uh, they had all kinds of theories before the twentieth century. It was bad blood, and it was this and that, was other, and yeah, yeah. But uh, but this gave a, a scientific. But yes, because the genes pass on the same stupidity to the inferior classes. You see, and they'd had it on the go since the days of Thomas Malthus. The same ideas. Of too many of their own people breeding, but would over you know the, the planet would basically just uh, collapse with the weight of all. I suppose and that was the ideas that was put across there, and uh, the, again with charts and graphs, just like the COVID thing. Malthus trying to prove is this too many fogum would happen a hundred years time, two hundred years time, and that kind of stuff, and so on. It never ends. It's the same agenda with different covers. You see, those in control of this world and control over people, are always petrified of the general public. They always have been. Because the, the, the whole basis for, for legitimacy of ruling over you is with a, a kind of consent of the, by, of, by the general public to do so. Fraudulent it might be, and fake, and, and today definitely, but in the old days you have to, well, Sunday has to have, to, you, have to, you need a, a titular head of some kind to to give legitimacy and credence to law, etc. And that's how monarchy uh, got a foothold a long time ago. Today it's massive think tanks that work on behalf of governments and institutions like the themselves institutions that you don't vote for once again. And government that really doesn't know much, as I say, from the politicians, they don't know much. They're they're little sharp characters themselves, men and women, with big ambitions for themselves. And they all know they become awfully rich with a career serving the public. But you know, not from your from your pension, obviously, but. But this magic money comes to comes to you get the right investments and the, and the and the state. I remember the Congress in America a few years ago gave themselves the rights to use insider information for their own personal investments. That used to be illegal before. In other words, you make policies, know who's going to benefit, and you can make investments in this corporate. It's so corrupt, openly corrupt. Eh? Although it's not corrupt anymore because it's legal for them. <laughs> but we're living through such a, a, an, an amazing display of what I call conology. And you're conned and conned and conned. And you must participate in the con. That's why you vote. You vote out of desperation, really. And to, to get the one that you voted in the last time out, because you're so disgusted with them, that's why you vote the new bunch in. Only you find out nothing much changes, you know. The same agendas continue. The same agreements are countersigned and, and strengthened, like the it used to be called the NAFTA deal, North American Free Trade Agreement. And now it's the U.S. Canada America um, agreement, USMCA. You call it now. Same agreement, just a, a fancy title change because it was just too easy to say NAFTA. So many of the public understood it. By then, and so you just change the name of it. Oh, that's gone. NAFTA's gone. But it's the same agreement, of course, it is. It's fixing trade, and 
you as a small company have got a hard, you're going to have a hard time exporting anything without permission by the, by the, by the, the boards that are set up, these star chambers through the WTO as well, World Trade Organization, uh, because you're not authorized. You might have paid all the licenses, but they won't give you one for export, perhaps, you see, if you're any cut in or, or perhaps even remotely compete with even a big corporation, which is silly. You start with little old you in a big corporation, and so you won't get the business. It's like postage in Canada. Maybe the States is the same. I'm sure British Commonwealth countries are all the same with the postage. You can... Um, if you were posting a few books every every week, maybe about even two or three, maybe even a month, <laughs> you won't get the deals that the corporations can get for for either flyers or these little newspapers they'll print up um, before page, you know, free flyers and things. You won't get the deals, the incredible, incredible deals that are given per copy if they do so many hundreds per week. And you, well, you can't even get two or three a week, but you aren't going to get that kind of deal. So you'll you'll pay maybe ten times more for the same post for the postage to the same places. There's nothing. In, there's nothing in this system that's there for the ordinary person, really, nothing at all. Except the propaganda that's led. A lot of propaganda goes into creating you <laughs> and the mind that you have and your opinions that you have. But that's how it really is, and we hate, we don't like to th- look at it and see it that way. But I remember giving talks in the 90s. I says the system, especially the financial system, is probably it, it, this whole system relies at the top of it all. The head of, of this big serpent is the financial system. Well, I, I'll see that on the earthly plane, put it that way. But it's a financial system. Everything underneath it runs off the, the trickle down theory of, of loot getting dished out to, to different organizations and politicians and so all the way down, you see. And that's how it really works. It's loot. And that's why Rothschild quite openly said it in, in, in his, his own books and so on about Rothschild and biographies and, and the different Rothschilds. And and he said it. He said that uh, put me in charge of a nation's money, a currency, and I don't care, he says, who you put in as government, uh, prime minister. Because obviously, you'll see it every in throughout your life. And Britain was more open where the Chancellor of the Exchequer or the Prime Minister would go to see the big lenders about borrowing money. And with every loan comes conditions. And these conditions aren't all financial. They'll be null and void unless you change policies here. That's where, look at your government giving money out to all these third world countries. They can never pay it back. But don't worry, you the taxpayer are put down by your nations as a guarantors if they fail to pay it back or write it off. See? That's how it works. But along with them, these ones like the IMF or the World Bank across the world, comes conditions about gender equality, which ends up being really an attack on marriage. The destruction. Don't forget the planks of the Communist Manifesto. The richest folk on the planet financed it all, still do. Richest people. And the big club at the top. Big club, and the, as, as George Carlin said. And you're not a member. George Carlin. So anyway, that's how it really works. 
It's all money and finances and conditions to every loan. I was shocked. It was, it was something that Hillary Clinton, when she was in the State Department, said to some countries that, that from now on we won't be giving any money out to any country. And she laid out a list of stipulations. And Africans were shocked, some African countries. You know, this is... Our women will end up like, like prostitutes if they go along with this, that some of the leaders in the countries said. They couldn't believe it. It was a right to... A lot, some of these countries have natural... their natural cultural taboos on decency because they don't have the welfare systems to take your unwanted children. And so marriage is promoted. Isn't this amazing? This is parts of Africa we're talking about. They used to lambast Africa as being backwards. We're, we're, we're the backward countries now because a war has been waged upon you for a long time and you don't even know it. Everything you went along with was for the greater good, right, and progress. Look around you. But yeah, Hillary Clinton had all these different, different regulations laid out for the, for the loan. I was just astonished. But that's how it's all done, you see. And that's how it's done with your nations as well. Bailouts and so on. All, but, but here's the caveats, and you have to do this, that, and that. Yeah, that, that, that. Yeah. That's how it's done. That's how it's done. When Japan came to America to get loans before World War One, and met Baruch and different characters there, the loans stipulated, and this was found after World War Two. By the Marines when they went to Japan, to Japan proper in Tokyo, then they found the old agreements that that initially they were the, the, the American bankers will say agreed to France uh, the, the improvement and, and the modernization of Japan's navy and military, and that the conditions laid out that them, that Japan then must attack Russia. If this all came out in history, this is not conspiracy theory here. Yeah? In fact, I think the agreement's on display in a museum now in the States. And of course, a little bit of stink at the time was hushed over, but the fact is that it did come out. It was, that was part of the, that was agreement. Uh, and there's a reason for that too, by Baruch and other ones that had financed it. You think about it, people can lend money out to get other nations to, to go and attack other nations. You're seeing the same thing with the funding of riots on your streets today. How can you pretend you've got something called democracy? When the richest folk on the planet can finance revolutions anywhere in the world rather quickly by sending around the world, which they've done, by the way, leaders of these particular terrorist organizations. Don't forget a terrorist organization, uh, if they've over overthrown a nation, which can happen, because the tactics are classic that are being used in America right now. Quite fascinating to watch it, because they're classic. And the fact that, that they're, they're, they're well-organized, uh, well-run, um, the idea is to terrorize the average American citizenry. They'll do nothing. That's what was in Fight Club, the movie Fight Club, the comedy. 
where they, where, where they, 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 they see a group up for revolution and, and they even ex- experiment on Joe Public. So, and passers-by would pass gardens and things or fences or gates and, and the folk in the gardens would just suddenly soak them with, with hoses and, or chase them or throw things at them. And the hardest thing they said in the comedy was to get folk to physically fight back. Because folk are decent, law-abiding, yada yada. What chance do you have against terrorists? So psychologically, the effect of the TV massive pounding would give you the impression of the whole of America was burning. That's that's a perception management task, you see. And that's where the media is all on board with it. Still calling them peaceful protests, as you see the, 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 burn, the buildings all burning down and cars on fire. And mobs chasing cars on the streets and smashing their windows, and like it happened with that Prius in California the other day too, etc. I mean, it's just never ended. But this is all with a collusion with a big, powerful organization that runs all media. Obviously, the deep state isn't some something stuck in a back alley somewhere. It is your system. <laughs> <laughs> run. You, you've been oblivious to thinking it was all individually owned and private, etc., private business. No, no. These corporations are part of the whole system of revolution. You fund most of their enterprises with public-private partnerships for the greater good, to say. Yeah, so I gave talks, as I said, back in the 90s about the, the system, how corrupt and broken it was. And how they they kept trying to keep it and being kind of semi-successful. And I likened it to the Tower of Babel. I said there's so many band-aids on it because it's swayed in the wind for so many you know thousands of years <laughs> that it's broken, cracked, and and it's it's got all these band-aids on it from countless defaults and bank crashes, all planned, of course, to loot the general public over and over. And how you always get at least at least twice a, year, a century, you know, at least two big, uh, you get two big um, crashes as they declare bankruptcy and loot you all. And then you all have to bail them out with loans your government takes from the same characters that cause them because they're giving you nothing back really except numbers on paper or on a computer. And then they're telling you that's legitimate and your government agrees because they're all part of the con and they all finance themselves. And then they, they put you down to, to pay back all the money that was lost. Really stolen. Mine doesn't disappear like that. Stolen. Big crashes. So you, you see the big uh, Tower of Babel is towers above you all. And there's countless, there's even many books came out after nine, after, after well, 9-11, sure, but also after, and, and all the wars that you're still paying for today. Um, but also with the crash of 2008, all the books and how the biggies all knew it was coming, how they had moved all their own cash and into secure places, etc., etc., and how they actually accelerated and helped all to have, and how the governments and the overseers of of these big institutions that work for government, how they turned a blind eye right to the bitter end about the banks were buying up by the thousands per day mortgages. They were flipping mortgages like the commodities. Until after the crash, they're still trying to figure out who eventually actually owns a lot of these properties. Utter corruption and collusion. 
Nobody was to yell for it. You had tent cities of folk who'd all lost their homes. Generally, the poor folk that, that fell for these, oh, no, no money necessary. This is a government back, back these things up for you, yada, yada, yada. Poor soul. I mean, horror stories came out of it. Again, quickly forgotten again, eh, or hushed or quietened down. Eh? And they planned it from then on, you know. They said that 2008 was only the first wave of this massive collapse. Well, who said that? All the biggies at the Council on Foreign Relations, you know, this quiet, quiet advisory government that you have, and uh, they come as advisors to government. We advise them on what to do or else. And uh, and the second one was still like, well, here you are with the second one. And they've, made, they've compounded it with a COVID idea. That's a good one, isn't it? But more folk dying two years before with flu. But the world wasn't shut down with that. That doesn't matter. This is a necessary thing for the big agenda, obviously. Obviously, since they're, going, they're, going, they're turning on the public with military precision and military angst. Military angst is important. If you see, when the military has to go out and force an enemy to the death, face them to the death, you'll see the guy's expressions. They call it resolute. You know? and, and, and with those who lead them, because they're all on board with it, and you've got to be resolute if you're facing an enemy, right? But you're seeing the same thing turned on the public right now with, with, with absolute glaring authoritarianism of resolution. They've all sworn to each other and the big organization that they all belong to. The real boss, not the public, to go through with this to the bitter end, to change the economy and the system and the culture and what's left of the culture and uh, the whole system, way of living from birth to death permanently using COVID. Some of these things I might touch on tonight, but I don't want to overwhelm folk with just too many details. Of They can look it up themselves. I can give you a lot of the links and so on. But it's overwhelmingly evident what's going on. There's nothing, there's nothing left to the imagination. It's your own unwillingness to believe it. That's what it is. And they're falling to the, to the end, a letter to the end. This whole idea of a complete lockdown across the world, if they can get away with it. And uh, using terror again, and 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 bogus tests. Yeah. The, the, these piece are t- these these tests are so bogus; they're a joke. And, and so many of the doctors have come out and say the same thing. Lab workers have come out and say the same thing. But facts don't matter. It's in a huge agenda. Because it was before they gave you the idea of COVID. Maybe even gave you COVID, because <laughs> it did come out of a lab supposedly. It didn't develop by itself, not with the four inserts it's got on it. Then obviously that uh, darn thing was all planned to begin with, before it was got loose. Even the basis for the vaccine, this new type of vaccine, the basis for it was there like, like a model, base model, that they could adapt and add on to according to particular types of viruses, coronaviruses. All set up and ready to go. Has been for a few years. 
And then what happens to you? Well, they don't know yet, they claim. They don't know yet. They, they just hope, cross fingers, you know. Yeah, we've already had folk par- paralyzed now with, with, with their test subjects. and little, little inconveniences like that, you see, but they want to ram it through into your, into your system regardless, eh? Well, I, I go back to Como. Como, the, 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 man, the one-man disaster for New York City. Who, like other some other places, including like Scotland as well, did the same thing. Mandated that the infected should be put into old folks' homes too, which, which were uninfected till they put in the infected patients. And we saw what happened there, and they, they've got the numbers skyrocketing, of course. Both socialist, of course, yeah, ultra socialist, and it, and it gave credence again as the numbers went up and up and up of. Of, of infected people and in deaths, but don't forget with the tests they're using, the swab tests, for the particles that shows particles of dead viruses. As you don't even need to have that, or have had the darn thing to have the multiple particles in your nostrils or your sinuses or in your throat. They're all over the place around you. And that's what it's picking up, you know, dead particles. It's such an incredible scam. Remember years ago, I'm reading articles. Um, I won't even go in there, it's just too in depth. Because in any of these areas, you can talk forever about it. But yeah, it's a scam, and it's planned that way. And the, the World Economic Forum has come out again. I'll put the article up once again. They've said the same thing as the Club of Rome said openly, too, and how they can achieve their whole agenda for sustainability by using COVID and who can open up businesses and who can't if it's environmentally friendly or not, according to panels, secretive panels and star chambers, etc. Because there's no real legal system set up that you can go and protest against anything here. There's nothing. And your pretended democracies. <laughs> now, once again, folks, I remind you to cuttingthroughthematrix.com. List all the sites I have there. And, and take the links and, and paste them somewhere securely so you can get them. Because if the comm site goes down again, which I may get attacked again, there's no doubt about it. Or at least the ones, the servers I'm using. To host, that is, you know. And then you can get the other sites, hopefully. And, and uh, again, as you're there, when you're there too, remember, you can buy the books and discs. Or just straight donations you can send to me by personal cheque. Or send cash, cash is fine Or MoneyGram, or PayPal And any other ways you can find to do it Just send it to me Because i got to take along here too And it costs a lot of money to do all these different things Especially when I'm not selling you anything else I'm not selling you ideas of who to vote for Or, or I'm not selling you pure optimism either I never came out initially to give you just optimism the Optimism is an understanding it's its own optimism, understanding the whys and wherefores will make you less fearful when you really understand why things are happening. You'll also see what's going to happen along the way and prepare perhaps for it. Mental preparedness stops a lot of anxiety. Never mind physical preparedness, but mental for sure. You don't fall for the next terror attack of psychological warfare put out by professionals meaning your own governmental agencies, the ones who run your government, or the CIA, or MI6, or Mossad. 
and all the other organizations all collude together. And they do collude together. They always did. Some, some of the, the top um, agents in Britain would meet in pubs in London, in MI5 and 6, especially MI6. They'd meet their, their counterparts across, the, across in different countries. You know, they'd meet them all. They'd meet, they'd meet the Russian spies and agents, and, and uh, they'd meet in bars. And the favorite places across capitals across the world They'd all meet at different times and bump into each other. And they'd get pally, you know, and they, they exchange a little, a little bit of superficial information you pass back to them. Oh, you wouldn't guess what I found out about what Russia's up to now, what they're up to, you know. Things like that, a little trivia. But a lot of them got to know their counterparts because they're in the same business of collecting and supplying information to their masters. And eventually they could, they could see through. Uh, they'd often say in their memoirs that they, and if you met any of them personally, they had no, no, no personal access to grind. They weren't, it's not like the movie type thing where they did everything for, for patriotic duty. They did a bit of excitement. They got paid for They got a lot of good tra- travel. They got investment tips that like you wouldn't believe because so much of what they were trying to find out in different nations was investment money and, and, and where the future trends are going in big businesses for their masters back home. A lot of it was like that. But most of them didn't, didn't do what they did for, for ideological purposes. Certain ones were sent in to, to nations as operatives who really were on the line, the tightrope, that, that would get killed if they were found out. But the, but the higher-up type agents that went back and forth and, and they knew their counterparts in the, in the different countries, or agencies, they generally were okay. It was the, the real operatives that were sent in that got, got the chop off. And Kim Philby uh, used to literally work uh, in, uh, for MI6. He was recruited, like most of them were, by Rothschilds. The, the, the Cambridge Five, you know, the Cambridge Spies, anyway. It was on for the fifth man, although Blake came later. But as I say, that you find out that the Rothschild, you know, the Rothschild, the Rothschilds, the banking family, put them up, a lot of these students, and recruited them. And because he gave the, the say that these are good chaps, you know, there was no background checks in some of them. That's how it was done. Even Blake, who came later, got the same kind of clearance. <laughs> he was never checked up, che- uh, checked out at all. Even though he he was from Poland uh, and communist, and interesting background. But his, his his uncle was he owned his uncle owned the Bank of Israel at that time. <laughs> but he himself was communist, supposedly. Because as you know, as by now, as communism is a, a name, a front for. A much bigger organization, I'd say. But anyway, um, yeah, agents would tell you that the system is vastly different than anything you'd imagine. Vastly different. But Phil, be getting back to him before I get off it, he literally would, would get information of operatives being sent into different uh, Warsaw Pact countries. And they'd land them in through parachute, different techniques, and so on, get them into the countries or smuggle them across borders. And they're all getting picked off. So he would actually meet some of them who, and, and be sitting in an Opry. And then he'd go out the back door pretty well and signal his counterparts that they'd be arriving and so and so. And he was responsible for a lot of the folks' deaths. That's really how it was run. 
And yet you wonder who, they all came, they all came from the upper crust, these spies, you know. A lot of title families as well, who worked as spies and double agents. It was actually harder to get that quality of spy or double agent from the working classes, because the working classes were more patriotic, because the propaganda always worked better on them. They, they really believed it was their country and decent folk own it and run it and manage it for us. And, and a lot, of course, a lot of it comes from the fact that the ordinary folk have a much tighter bond with each other, I think, a more hum- a human bond to begin with anyway. So as I say, before I get on to the next hour, cutting through the com, send a few bucks my way and help me tick along. Because, I, as I say, I don't have an axe to grind and I've walked between the raindrops for so many years on different shows and then on my own for a while too. But still walking between the raindrops because really you're not really authorised to play the big game here on behalf of some maybe big operations, you know. Because most of the things out there are not quite what you think that they really are. Now, as I've said, the the Tower of Babel uh, really is at least rather precarious at times with its band-aids and its sways in the wind and creaks and groans, but don't think for a second that somehow the people at the top, who've run the world successfully, successfully for an awful long time, who knows how long actually, centuries, at the very least, many centuries at least, <laughs> uh, stand back and just let it happen. Uh, they, they always plan ahead to, for the next system, the next system. And now that it's all coming along into digital currency, they don't even have to print up banknotes, of course, to say, well, here's physical nothings. It represents nothing, but it's physical. And psychologically, it seems more, it was tangible. They say, well, yeah, it's, well, it's not gold or silver or whatever, but, but it's tangible. It's paper, at least, so, but you don't even have that now. You have blips that can come and go and go down the memory hole too if they ever want to wipe out your accounts, eh? Which will happen once you're on the total universal basic income. It'll start with them too as the government withholds money because you've been bad or you said something naughty, you see. One of the things that you shouldn't say and as they keep adding to the list of things you mustn't say or even think for that matter as you get trained to comply and be subservient and be a good pirate, that's the only way you'll survive at all. That's what Orwell showed you in 1984, a dead, pan face in the movie, the one that uh, John Hurt was in, and never show expressions of surprise or emotion or anything, because it's all on camera, right? So you're living through it, and uh, it's all planned. It's a massive plan. I've said it at the, the, the WEF, World Economic Forum. Don't forget, the, the World Economic Forum is a private, massive club that was never voted in by the general public anywhere, just like the United Nations. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's a massive club. Started, started up supposedly by one front man, Klaus Schwab. And... Uh, to do good for the world, you know, which enriches the ones who are already rich, etc. You know, I mean, you don't want them getting poor, do you? You don't want to be ruled by poor bums, do you? You, you want rich bums. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a benevolent thing. And the richest people on the planet belong to it. Governments are completely subservient to it, even though it's never been written into a law that, that they've got power over anybody. It's astonishing how you live in a system 
where everyone's obeying, obeying and obeying to these organisations, eh? It tells you that what you think is your government isn't what you, what isn't that way at all. It's a different institution, obviously. But it's a, a big pretense. As I've said before, they don't give you a guy with a uniform on that comes out yelling in front of the camera. They give you people in business suits. And they prefer if you at least go through the semblance of voting them in, at least, you know. And that way you, 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 you'll turn around, oh, so that person has let us down so badly, I'm not going to vote for them again. And it keeps the whole pretense up, rather than just strip it all away and say, who's really running the show? And as I said before, if you, fire, if you could possibly fire all the politicians today, you'd be strange enough the government, your country would keep working. <laughs> if that's what it is right now, I don't know if it's working or not. But we keep going, uh, whether they or not. And it would take a little bit of time before the real forces behind the scenes would come forward to start to dictate policies, you see. But it's a good sham, it's a good chronology, because uh, because the con is that, that you vote them in, and they're there to work for you on your behalf. And then all you'll hear them talk about is special rights for different minorities, including new inventive or inventions and in minorities and classifications as time goes on, all to suit the agenda and change society again. That's what it's really for. They don't give a darn about anybody or preferences or anything else. They'll use them all, but they don't care. Any more than they care about the poor folk who are starving in some places. They don't care. These politicians are born liars. But the psychopathic group that become politicians, they, they smell the power out and they go for the power. They look for the power. And they find it. And they, want to, they, they like to have a praise from the public too and be looked up to and have a name in the papers like a star, you see. They love that acclaim and applause. Attention-seeking type psychopaths. And before I go into any topics or stories... To touch on again, why would your own country, what you think is your own country, huh, be financing and allowing the financing of revolutionary groups inside your countries, especially those who are dedicated to overthrowing the entire system? That tells you the system was overthrown a long time ago, maybe, or else it was never the system you imagined it to be. It's very malleable system, isn't it? Where it can, it can fight against certain things when it suits them and their corporate interests. And then, after a certain time, it just, uh, just turns on its own public that might be at least verbally fighting the same system. But those who run the run your governments are, are all for allowing your cities to burn. I mean, it makes no sense to realize that, no, whoever runs your countries is, is not from you, the people. And really, it never really was, eh? Before they're to give more lip service, to have any credence amongst the public, but they really don't have that anymore. They'll, they'll cater to it, what they say is, and that, that's what they've done. Rather than serve the general public in the supposed democracies, right? Which means you, 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 you fulfill agendas that you run on in, in democratic systems, even in democratic republican systems. You still, they're meaning democratic, you vote, you get to vote people in. That's a de- democratic bit, but it doesn't really work that way because you don't really vote them anyway. They're up to put in. <laughs> but the idea is, is to keep the idea of democracy going, 
to stop you realising of the, all the folk behind the curtain, you see. The ones that Benjamin Disraeli talked about. And he's one of his novel, I think it was, it was, it was Coningsby, I think a novel, where he's talking about government and a civil servant. And he says that government is those who really rule the nation behind the curtain are vastly different people from the ones that you see. They give you lots of little clues and tips, don't they? But that's how it is. And you can figure that out for yourself anyway after doing enough study and uh, and right, even in your own lifetime, just to study stuff in your lifetime you've seen and look at all the promises made. Then you see once they're in, rather than cater to the majority that, that, that supposedly elect them in, right? They'll say in demo- democratic countries, well, they're supposed to serve the majority, but give, but listen to the minorities, give the minor- minorities little protections and so on. All, all they do is talk to minorities. That's taken over from the majority. And it gives the impression that they're listening to people, but not listening to the rest of the people. They're listening to selected groups that tell them what they want them to, to hear or, or to ask them even. Oh, sure, we'll pass laws to do it. It's all to do with passing laws, isn't it? Everything that happens is passed. People shouldn't talk about the oh, pass a law until you're hamstrung, as they call it, with laws. That's the old communist technique. The Bolsheviks did that when they got in. The past law, but after law, after law, you couldn't speak, you couldn't do this, you couldn't talk, but blah, 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 until you were completely hamstrung, you were silenced, you see. Socialism always does the same technique, and when the same elite multi-billionaires want socialism, they'll give you socialism. It's a faster way to do it. When they want more to, from you, or more compliance from you, more, um, more public spiritedness from you, they'll give you more freedoms for a while, as they still fleece you, you see. So they've got to get be a little bit, a bit more free and easy. And I always point to their country. You wouldn't believe what they do in those countries to people who are convicted to this. You wouldn't believe what they do. Well, they don't borrow with that so much now, do they? Because yeah. it's all happening in your own countries, <laughs> quietly too. <laughs> Maybe sometimes not so quietly. But anyway, it's a farce, isn't it? But it's all to suit the, the masters at the top. And I, I read articles today just about the, the lockdowns coming again in England. And I, I've said that at the beginning, I said, listen to what they said. It's going to, they're going to have you locked down uh, for at least a year, maybe two, maybe two, you know. Now they're stretching it to two years. And um, they give you a little bit of a break in the summer. I said, they do that, just to ease up a bit, make you, give you a smile and be happy a little bit. Rather than have you all rebelling. They don't want rebellion, you see. And that's how they do it. They play it by ear. And by ear, meaning electronic ear, because they've got the finger on the chat in real time on the, on the net, you see. They've got the, then they know exactly who's, through all the algorithms, precisely, in real time, a pretty well accurate percentage of who's against the, the, this lockdown and the rest of it, and how to manage it, and how to get around, how to break your resolve, etc., and, or to convince you by bigger scares and what they need to do to make it happen. This is how it's played today. It's, it's massive psychological warfare on the general public. So it's, uh, it's not going to help the way things are going right now. And there's no doubt about it. Whoever's out there, whatever this thing is, definitely is hitting. Yeah, we know it's elderly mainly. And it's, it's maybe, maybe finishing off people that the flu would have finished off anyway, because the flu, it's generally the flu or pneumonia that kills people eventually outside cancers. And regardless if it's the heart, that's pre, is a precondition to, to more, more, more morbidity, as they like to call it, 
or something else, you see. Or, or again, diabetic. Uh, diabetic has got problems too with circulation and immune responses to things as well. So, and then you have people who are really obese, really obese in this day and age. They have blood pressure problems as well. And this thing almost, it's pretty well engineered as far as I'm concerned to hit, to hit specific targets. And I do wonder, I do wonder about, but most of the folk don't get it. And it doesn't matter what ethnicity either. Certain ethnicities, again, if they've got the comorbidities of way overweight, maybe type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, they're definitely at more risk of getting symptoms of it or illness or even death from it. But that they are folk who, or even the folk the same age in the 60s and 70s who are rather thin or thinnish and who don't have a diabetes and who don't um, have high blood pressure, they've got a more, more chance of going pretty well symptom-free. So it's, it's rather interesting that this thing actually will hit um, something that's already overburdened like blood pressure and maybe pop up a few a little bit more and that's all it takes perhaps, you know. And I'm sure they've got it pretty well tapped exactly what this thing does, but the flu will do the same kind of thing as well. With high fever and comorbidities uh, make you a candidate for for the grand finale. And that's the way it is. I remember too, as I've said many times, actually, I, I say things occasionally uh, to repeat them to make it to make you remember. But SARS one, remember the first SARS outbreak. It primarily the, the people from China, at least in Canada and Toronto, when it hit here, and it was often from people who'd just been over to China and from the infected areas and and back again, but primarily Chinese people it seemed, and um, once again the elderly were hit there, but after it was all over, I remember it was so so volatile, it was so so deadly at the time, I should say it was so deadly at the time. That I think one of the the Chinese have their own funeral homes, and a whole bunch of morticians in the home had been killed as well. Just working on one or two bodies, it was so contagious and and severe. It really hit them hard, fast, you know. So that was interesting. And afterwards, and I kept I kept the hard articles from newspapers at the time because I knew that these things would disappear, but. It said at the time, China put a complaint in to the West, America, and and said it's pots. This thing definitely has the hallmarks of ethnic-specific virus. Like they're used for bio-warfare. They're putting a register in a complaint, I mean, an official-type complaint. And getting back to the Portland Down article, as I said, it was put out many years before that. It all ties in that way. I mean, you, you can't blame them for saying something that, that's going to hit a specific group. Obviously, and we know that with with the ACE two cells, you know, that they're more in the lungs. Some some ethnic groups have a higher percentage of this particular cell in epithelial tissue, uh, so they're more prone to to getting uh, getting it uh, much more rapidly, uh, maybe worse as well. Uh, and and the receptors definitely make it. This is the cell that you have, the, the little spikes that you'll see on these coronaviruses, these coronaviruses, uh, will, will empty through uh, the, the, some sort of receptor uh, type cell 
it'll empty its contents from the virus, its innards, if you like, the cargo it's carrying it through uh, into the host's cells, the epithelial cells in the, in the lungs and in the nasal passages, etc., the sinuses and all that. So anyway, some groups definitely will definitely seem to be, it's definitely seem to be more prone to than others. But there's no doubt about it, obesity it's a major factor in, 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 containing, in, in surviving if, you, if you're really heavily obese. And even so, now that they're, they're, they're not just ramming these darned uh, uh, ventilator machines, putting tubes down their tracheas, which is, is an awful thing. It's an awful shock on the body being, being kept on a, a ventilator. They have to put you in almost a coma state to, to get it into you, or you'll fight it. Because it'll, it'll stop you, and, you know, your own breathing rate itself, your, your automatic breathing apparatus, your symptoms of, of the nervous system will have to be stopped and be taken over by an artificial system. Your, your body will panic at times with it, you see. So, but it also it causes bruising at the side of the trachea, and, and you, you've got to have given, or you should put more in antibiotics too, because the bacterial infections set in on top of the viral infections. So the bacterium have to be contained, dealt with. Then after it's all over, they have to get them back breathing again, and your body will adapt so fast to having the ventilator to do it all for you, and your lungs rising and falling, according to the machine, as opposed to your automatic system doing it, then it takes a while before, before the people uh, are able to, to breathe naturally on their own again, quite a time. It can take weeks sometimes. So anyway, we're going through amazing times and systems, and now that they've got other treatments, and they try to use the old treatments, which worked fine for the flus and things, uh, they're having a much better success rate. But there's much fewer, there's far, far fewer folk getting ill and going to hospitals with it. Even in the, in the worst of it, too. We saw a lot of hospitals in Britain, like Bristol, and the hospitals, they were just pretty well empty, nothing happening, even then. So, so it was so overblown, it was, it was rather scary. New York was interesting, but again, the, the, when you see the chaos, it's mainly in the elderly again, and the chaos of putting infected folk into old folks' homes with the uninfected until they're all infected, it was rather deliberate. It was a crime, actually. Uh, we found out already, too, with Italy, with the big crisis in Italy, they'd already had a trial vaccine for the flu, you know, free, of course, you know, uh, the, the last, last fall into the winter. And it's possible that when you hit the coronavirus, you had a massive overreaction. This is what's being speculated at the moment. And of course, you'll probably never get all the data because the massive authorities above us will crush it all. If, uh, and, and anybody who's going to come out, they've already hit folk with license withdrawal uh, for MDs and so on. They've come out with, with their own conclusions on it. So much skullduggery is disgusting when it, when it comes to human life, as I say. But however... Uh, towards the, the the big spike was all pretty well over come May, definitely even in, in April, what they call the spike. Not some illnesses, but the spike itself of tested people was was pretty well over to, to, towards the end of April. And I remember reading articles too, where in Britain one of the the, the companies, vaccine companies, said they were racing against time to try to get something developed before this this virus disappeared. That was in the newspapers. I've still got the articles here from the laboratory. 
because it's dwindling so fast. That's what happens. They don't stay the same tight. They, 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 they morph rather quickly into, into very you know, non-contagious sometimes, or at least very mild, uh, and, some, and generally uh, harmless types of viruses. They mutate, you see. That's what happens with them. And now, of course, they're already saying that, that this probably happened now. Is it's mutated a much less severe thing. And yeah, lots of more focal tests, having had it, at least had the, <laughs> this terrible test that they're using for the swabs. But, but even if you do blood tests, you know, you, you, most folk only have antibodies already in their system for it. That's herd immunity without a vaccination. That's what normally happens. That's what happens when you're cold every year and, and various flus and so on. That's what happens, see. But facts don't matter when big a big agenda is at play. So this is a war strategy. What can we use? Well, global warming's not working for them. They won't swallow it. They won't cut back. They won't get out their cars. They won't blah, blah, blah. Well, here you go. Here's COVID. Let's do, use COVID. We'll use that. And California, you probably noticed there too, um, they're cutting back on all car use altogether. Well, it's much healthier for the... Right out, out of the playbook, eh? They said that they wouldn't allow things to open up. They weren't sustainable and environmentally friendly. The whole agenda, the agenda, the climate change agenda, it's all the sustainability. Climate change was hit upon by the Club of Rome when they were given the task to find something that we'd believe and we'd agree to and give up certain rights and, and privileges and all the rest of it for the greater good, and they hit upon the idea of global warming, famine, drought, and the, and the like would, would fit the bill. That would fit the bill. That's what they said in their own books. So, but the whole point is there's too many people. Behind it all, they've, they've said that there's too many people. How many articles have come out, even again recently, by the same culprits telling you there's too many people, you know, it's... Uh, it's inevitable, it's going to get worse and worse because there's too many folk consuming, consuming. And then even right down to too many folk breeding, especially to the West, where, where the birth rate's always been plummeting, except for, mass, for mig massive migration with children. Most migrants are, 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 are the ones with the children, you see, to get the numbers up. Otherwise, it'd be way, way down, way, way down. But again, facts don't matter, agenda-driven, eh? I'll touch on some of these articles now rather than just rush right through them. Yes, they're interesting, some of them. Uh, other, other ones are very repetitive. You know the agenda is for a lockdown over the winter. You know that. And they keep churning out these stupid tests that will give you false positives, even when you're not ill, and most folk are not ill with it. I got all the, the graphs from the students. I couldn't believe it. I mean, the universities have said before, uh, I got them last week, uh, the graphs of the testing. It's like testing all these young youngsters are going into college and so on. And uh, you see them, oh, yeah, the more testing we do, the more we find. Well, it's not a coincidence. Well, so these are particles of dead viruses. Your immune system kills them off, even in your nose often, <laughs> before they get anywhere else. And you have lots of dead particles. That's why your system is meant to trap things first in your nose and in your sinuses is one of your first levels of containment. They catch it there and destroy things. 
it's you've got an amazing system. It truly is. People are walking miracles, eh? and so is all life. Really, walking miracle. It didn't just evolve out of some spontaneity. Some amoeba thought, well, you know, I think I'm going to be a horse one day. You know, what about you? And now I'd be a giraffe. I want to be higher than anybody, any you lot. But that's that's how it goes. It's it's a fascinating system. We're, we're born with amazing abilities. If we're not tampered with and hammered with poisons or other things, which are still poisons as far as I'm concerned, that hack your immune system, yeah, then you've got, you've got an amazing response system. And if you're, you've got enough nourishment, yeah, you find most of the stuff in the, in the, up until the 20th century, most of the problems across Europe, mainly in Britain, <laughs> Were impoverishment of and malnourishment was causing problems. But if you're, if you're well nourished and you're healthy, you, you can fight off most things. But again, facts don't really matter. Hey, big agendas. I think it was interesting that Bill Gates, I think, says, "Well, this this might be locked down. You know, locked down the COVID with you for another couple of years. You know, the the guy that, uh, as I say, waves his hands a lot and." And uh, you can't look anybody in the eye without, and lock a gaze without shifting it. He's a shifty-looking guy. That's my opinion, anyway. Anyway, here's um. And by the way, all the any opinions are going to be completely verboten. Uh, now they're moving into the next step in preparation for the complete lockdown again. This is stage five. They're looking up. They want to get to five, where it's a complete martial law system, and they'll lock anybody up that speaks out against it. I mean, that's on the books, eh? So they start off doing, doing no, don't do that, and then they put out the other ones that are going to counter you, you know, the different groups that are set up to counter you, or thousands of internet employees that uh, slow your speed, that attack your sites, if you won't comply and go along with it and shut up. Uh, but the final stage eventually is to, or defame you, is there a way to defame some people? But the other way is also to uh, eventually arrest people. That's what's on the books, see? Eh? Event 201. I love how totalitarian systems, even the ones that are there to help you, the communist ones, eh? they, they appointed people who are representatives of the people. They were representatives of the people. And they would set up their courts and they'd say, we are the representatives of the people. And they would then try and execute the people on behalf of the people. <laughs> it's just same thing. It's just, tyranny uh, is very easy to recognize if, you, if you're not completely in a slumber. It's very much like the American dream, you know. And I think it was George Carlin said about that too. He says, the American dream, he says, the only time you can believe in it is when you're asleep and you're dreaming, you see, because it doesn't happen in reality. <laughs> not for you anyway, because you're not in a big club. Europe's lockdown will kill more people worldwide than COVID-19 virus, the, gen- the German minister warns, you know. And um, the grim prognosis made by the German official in an interview, and I'll put the links up with the Handelsblatt Daily, the pandemic has already triggered one of the biggest hunger and poverty crises across the world, Mueller said, and further damage will be done thanks to the measures taken to battle it. So here that the further damage will be done thanks to the measures taken to battle it. We expect an additional 400,000 deaths from malaria and HIV this year in the African continent alone, while half a million more will die from tuberculosis. By the way, a lot were brought tuberculosis into, it's in Canada now too, right? Some of the migrants that were brought in without, normally through straight application, 
to, to migrate to countries, you get tested, complete physicals before you can, you can leave your own country to come into the country uh, if you're applying to, to emigrate. And uh, But no, with, with the, the, the supposed um, refugees thing, even though they're, they're, they come from countries <laughs> where nothing much is happening because of refugee, but it makes no difference. But something can have uh, they have diseases, you see, and they're getting in without even testing them. That, that stipulations there not to harass them. Well, testing people is not harassment. It's trying to save the domestic population. Unless you want problems, well, you make your mind up what you what you want. Because you know they're not stupid. The folk are doing all this. Remember, why did they want this to happen? So when the situation stems from the fact that the West and the EU in particular has funneled its relief efforts into battling the coronavirus at home instead of helping the impoverished elsewhere, the COVID-19 pandemic has somewhat blinded the West, which has lost sight of the mounting problems in the rest of the world, Mueller argued. Supply of food and medication is no longer guaranteed, he said. Many of the West's aid programs are not adequately funded. So, but there's a lot of folk can't get in to get treatments for other illnesses in your own countries, you know. Empty hospitals. Well, you can't come in. You, you know, a, a, a minor operation. It's minor if, if we could treat it now, but it could be terribly deadly if we, if we leave it. Well, there you go. That's, how many folk died already because of this nonsense? Eh? Another article: Lockdown could kill seventy-five thousand over five years. This official projection of non-COVID deaths caused by missed cancer. That's just mixed cancer diagnosis and cancelled operations and health impacts. Of the recession, then it mentions the death toll from the virus, forty-two thousand. Well, again, that's very vague. What currently they're talking about, or is it the world, or whatever? Because I've noticed that in some of the articles, and Daily Mail is doing it too. It's got almost uh, something that they know the which when the wind's blowing in the general public who, who've seen through a lot of the nonsense. But they'll then say that the last, the last line, the virus death toll. Question mark, 42,000. Well, 42,000 from which country? And from when to when? And is, is that caused by the virus or folk who've died with it? I mean, most of us who probably died today and have uh, fragments, to say fragments of, of maybe a, a coronavirus or that kind of inside you, but, but it's caused no problems there. See? That's not the cause of death, but the, I'm not going to go through it again. We all know that the incredible scams where they were told to put down coronavirus death, even when generally it isn't, right? So, and don't forget, to, I keep telling folk in Britain, don't forget what uh, Hancock said, that the, the politician put in charge of health, is, who has no experience as far as I know in health, but that's what they do, they, they point them there, and they're, they're mouthpieces. And he, he said, they slipped out when he wasn't reading his script, and he said, don't forget, in England, we lose 10,000 people a month anyway. Um, that was normal. From all diseases, no, in a, any year. <laughs> so you take six months of it, right? Say so six months at 10,000, they die normally anyway. There's 60,000 people. But if you tack on, and it's put down as COVID deaths, well, you start to get a picture how it works, eh? And then it says um, nearly 75,000 could die from the COVID disorder lockdown, according to official figures, buried in a 188-page document. And the starting research presented to the government's scientific advisory group for emergencies, that SAGE, you know, will further increase pressure on Boris Johnson to hold back on introducing further coronavirus restrictions. Will it? I don't think so. He'll do what he's told. 
estimates that further 26,000 will lose their lives within a year, within a year, this is in England, right, if people continue to stay from, from A&E and the problems in social care persist. Yeah. It says also 16,000 people died as a result of the chaos in hospitals and care homes in March and April alone. Chaos, you say. Not COVID, but chaos. And I, I really hope people are taking notes and the ones who've got good internet speed and so on and, and taking clips of all the videos of, of these, these cowardly cops across the world turning on their own people. The same cops, right, and, and say in the U.S., or England, or London even, they stood by, did nothing when, when hordes of folk were hauling down, by design, obviously. The government didn't tell any forces to, to tackle them, shouting revolution and all the rest, and pulling statues down. These are the same cops that stood by, did nothing, but then go for people like Ohio mum in, in the States. Tased, she was tased and arrested at middle school football game for not wearing a mask. She was sitting on, on a bench, you know, nobody anywhere near <laughs> on a nice day. The virus is very particular too, you know, uh, if it's going to, I mean, the, this, this virus is, is just like the cops right now. It's politicized, and, and, but it's sensitive. It's a sen- you can eat somewhere, and as long as you're eating, they won't club you or taser you. It, it, it goes by some kind of Geneva Convention, you see, so for humanity, it's a humane virus. But as soon as you're finished, the last chew, make sure you get that mask back on. That's what they do in the restaurants in Canada. They're all told to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, it won't infect you during the munching bit. So if you don't want to get taste and stuff and you don't want to wear a mask, just keep eating candies. Take, take a whole bunch of snacks with you and walk in the streets with them. Because they can't touch you if you're eating. You, you might blow up and gain weight like crazy, but hey, at least at least you can breathe without getting suffocating yourself. Hmm? But it's an intelligent virus. Well, it's the same thing with the police, you see. The police can pick on mums that are on their own, right? Who we should probably weigh about maybe a quarter, maybe less, of, of this cop. And he's hauling her and hauling her and because she wasn't wearing a mask at a football game, and no, but, but she was pff, probably about 15 feet away from anybody else any, in any direction, I think, I don't know. So hopefully we're, we're getting all these videos, because you must, when, if you ever get over any of this, you know, you might, and I'm not very optimistic, by the way, but if you ever get over any of this, you better remember what your institutions are now and what the cop services are now when they literally, they're like robots, you know, they get told what to do and what not to do. And you better, be, you, you better get organizations set up to watch them all like hawks because it's an internal army now. They're, they're par, in Canada, they actually say that they're paramilitary forces who will do what they're told, no matter what it is. No matter what it is, it's just like in, in, this, in France and, and occupied countries in World War II, when the Germans marched in, the police turned up for work the next day and says, well, what's their orders? And, and a lot of them were used to gather people that were, could be hostile to the new regime. And the cops went along with it. That's what cops do, folks. 
So did the civil service. I've read lots of books on occupation strategies and the psychology of operations and so on with uh, with nations. And, and they use they use the histories of the past. And they find a, a good chunk of the, the the police initially on the periphery, as they call it, the periphery, and same with the civil service, start to work with, with the occupying forces and then they start to adapt and they go along with them until, and then it's normalized in no time at all, it's all completely integrated. So you really stop thinking of whatever runs your country is not yours. And when you see that, that it really is not there to serve the people, what cops can go around beating people up with batons or tasers for a scam virus like this? When the, the boxes that sell it, even the M95 masks, tell you it won't stop coronavirus on the box. So the makers tell you it's not going to stop it. Getting it or, 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 or transmitting it. But it doesn't make any difference to policy. That's disgusting what's happening. So I'll put this one up too, and it says, um, New incident in Ohio where a woman was outside at a middle school football game without a, a required mask, resulting in the, the police tasing and arresting her. The video arrest is now going viral precisely because it's an instance of police not showing common sense again at an outdoor venue. It's the same thing with these, these, these what's they call these, these nighttime raids they're doing for drugs with one of the latest ones. They're causing riots again where they shot people inside. Barton folks duck, hold doors down in the middle of the night, you know. No-knock no raids, I think they call it. No-knock. Suppose they're supposed to shout, we're the police. Well, in the middle of the night, would you believe anybody saying they're the police? Would you? How in the heck are you going to know they're the cops in the middle of the night? And at night time, too, folk are, if you come out of sleep, you're going to be hyper, you know, like freaking out alert, you know. And you might grab anything that's handy to defend yourself because you, you don't know who that who's outside there, especially when you hear them battering with force. That that's a that's a war act. Is violent force against your 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 doors? That's what it is. I mean, can't they wait to the next day or something? What's going on? See, you, you know, all these policies that came out with the drug laws initially, which gave which turned the police into paramilitary forces. And big money being made from drug raids. And meanwhile, you've got the CIA and all the other organizations working all through Latin America, over in Afghanistan, making sure that the drugs are flowing into the country and, and they're still being sold to folk. What do you think the guns for, 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 for drugs? I think it was all about with Ollie North and, and the gangs back then in those days, eh? Naran Contra scandal. And your own governments were, were making sure that heroin was being sold across the United States to children and, and, and teenagers. That's okay then, is it? Well, well, you've got these battering rams, groups of special forces, ramming uh, down doors and opening fire on people who are still half-sleeping. I remember doing the same talks years ago on the, on the radio show. And detail, because at that time there were so many of them getting shot as they battered folks' doors down in the middle of the night. And what was happening, so many of them, at that time what was astonishing was how many of them were the wrong addresses. And there was no apologies after they wrecked the place and shot people. 
wrong address. What kind of system have you got where they get the wrong addresses and you go in with lethal force? Something's wrong. Something's very... Is it the IQ or whatever the folk that have been put? Who knows? What is it? You don't make mistakes like that. Dressed up in combat gear, lethal force, in the middle of the night, and it's the wrong address in many occasions. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Mm-mm-mm. So when your governments are depending on drug money, you're definitely, your, your special agencies, your intelligence are definitely running a lot of it. So many, there are books being churned out from across Latin America of the different agencies from all countries involved in the drug cartels and so Never mind, I, I could go on and on about that too, and about who's even training them, some of the hit squads for the cartels, for that, the cartels have their own hit squads. And, and I can actually give you the names of some of the agencies that were training them. And you got to shake your heads. Wait a minute here. So there's a war on drugs. Really? It, it, it doesn't make any sense. You either have a, a, a war on drugs where you go after the sources. And they could do if they wanted. Look at the contact tracing today. Eh? As they try to get anybody who's anywhere near anybody who might have had a positive, who might have had a positive, fake or not, COVID test. And that person through that computer says that they, they, well, they've, they've infected probably at least 10 other people, says the computer, hey, eh? the god, the computer. So they can inflate the numbers like crazy. And that's what they're doing every day, by the way. If you, if you went to a restaurant and there was one person eventually uh, went afterwards to, to get tested, whatever, and they came up with a positive or false positive or whatever it had to be a um, positive result, They'd find out all the people in that restaurant, and then they'd contact trace them if they can, and then add 10 more to every person in the restaurant. And that day, that, that's what they'd publish for the numbers. Even though it will be only 11 people, you know. That's how it was done. Add 10 for everyone that might, be, that might have been there, <laughs> and up the numbers go. That's how they're doing it. But getting back to the graph on the, on the students, I couldn't believe it, were they? When you see it, oh, it's, oh my, look at that, that spike, oh my goodness, all these students. And add next to it, illnesses and hospital admissions, all the way down, top to bottom, zero. Nobody was ill with it. No hospital admissions. But that doesn't matter, does it? This, this is a war scenario. They've picked the project. The project is to use a COVID illness for a complete globalization of, of, of the new system, financial, cultural, economic, social, a whole new system. You're going to be trained from birth to death, monitored from birth to death, tracked and traced all through your lives with all the 5G internet of things everywhere, tracking and tracing and doing it, watching everything that you do. Yeah. For the, it's for the greater good, you understand, not just for COVID, eh? So don't expect common sense during these times amongst, obviously, the police departments. The, the, the Maybe we should back off a bit. We don't want more riots and burn cities. And let's, let's, let's go a bit quiet and tamp down these knock, no-knock um, raids and so on in the middle of the night and just go from during the day or something where it's above board and 
less panic and all the rest of it. But nope, uh, you, you, you'd think there'd be more common sense here, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Or, or, or again, grabbing some woman sitting alone on a bench watching a game. When the stupid masks do nothing except suffocate you. And the makers say it won't stop it, you're getting it or transmitting it. Isn't that amazing? You think they'd back off there too and say, wait a minute, you'd really want to be on video across the planet picking on some young woman. Now this one is from, it's a letter from medical doctors and health professionals in Belgium to all Belgium authorities and all Belgian media. An open letter. Uh, It says, uh, the following letters have made an impact on public health Authorities not only in Belgium but around the world, the text could pertain to any case which locks down their citizens rather than allow people freedom and permit medical professionals to bear the primary job of disease mitigation. So far it's been assigned by 394 medical doctors, 1,340 medically trained health professionals and 8,897 citizens. It won't matter. Since we Belgian doctors and health professionals wish to express our serious concern about the evolution of the situation in the recent months surrounding the outbreak of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Calling on politicians to be independently and critically informed in the decision-making process and the compulsory implementation of corona measures. We ask for an open debate where all experts are represented without any form of censorship. After the initial panic surrounding COVID-19, the objective facts now show a completely different picture. There is no medical justification for any emergency policy anymore. The current crisis management has become totally disproportionate and causes more damage than it does any good. We call for an end to all measures and ask for an immediate restoration of our normal democratic governance and legal structures and of our civil liberties. Well, that's what it's all about, isn't it? And it goes on and on. But I'll put these links up for these articles. And this is, see, this is a war agenda. And these, these front people that you think are your politicians are all agreed and sworn to, to, to a higher authority. I'm not meaning God either, at least not an earthly God. I mean, not, not a heavenly God, to put it that way. Maybe an earthly God, yeah. And they're, and they're a big, big cabal at the top here, but... Um, Think about it. They're all sworn and all parrot exactly the same lines to the general population, don't they? Which would mean if this was really a decent person there to serve you, they'd have to listen and maybe go along with you. But no, it doesn't happen. They're all on board, sworn to it, just like a war scenario. That's how they do it. Europe is facing a double dip recession as the coronavirus second wave arrives. Oh, CNBC, here you go. Economists predict a rebound in the second half of 2020, or predicted, but they are now questioning those forecasts. Many governments now are announcing new lockdown restrictions or a slowing of reopenings, reopenings as they deal with a significant uptick in cases. Well, that's your fake test kits again, eh? Because no one's sick with it, you see. They're not dying of it just, just yet. So there's your, there's your, they're all getting bored with the same, this is the same mantra, right? So Europe is now grappling with a second wave of coronavirus infections, it says. You know? But as I say, it's, 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 it's just, folk aren't getting, they aren't dying off with it <laughs> like they were before. And you've got to see what happened before was a response to it all. 
An unprecedented monetary overhaul, the Fed is preparing to deposit digital dollars directly to each American. And it says, uh, uh, this is what I talked about. Bertrand Russell talked about it, didn't he? About the future and the impact of science and society and a few other books. He mentioned that eventually the government will give you tokens of deposit in your bank account every month. And um, and they can, they can cut it off eventually if you... Basically, you, you, what you meant was like politically incorrect <laughs> or anti-social. I mean, you wouldn't obey obey the orders from from the the technocrats that would run you. This is all, these are all agendas, folks. So the Fed will continue injecting liquidity into the system. The second common theme is that despite sparking unprecedented asset price inflation prices, as measured across the broader economy using the flawed CPI metrics. Uh, and certainly stagnant worker wages would remain subdued. As a reminder, the Fed is desperate to ignite broad inflation, as that is the only way the countless trillions of excess debt, I mean, this is countless trillions, that's true, added to what was there before, can be eliminated and has so far failed to do so. The Fed's failure to reach its inflation target, which prompted the U.S. Central Bank to radically overhaul its monetary dogma last month, and unveil flexible average inflation targeting. <laughs> I love the I love the anachronisms they use. F E I T. It's your fate, you say, to be poor. Whereby the Fed will allow inflation to run hot without hiking rates, has sparked broad criticisms from the economic establishment. Even those we showed in June, deflation is now a direct function of the Fed's unconventional monetary policies. So it's a lower yields slide, the lower the propensity to spend. In other words, the harder the Fed fights to stimulate inflation, the more deflation, the more saving it spurs a result, and so on and so on. And it was in the bubble theory, etc. But it's all a con anyway. I mean, the money's it's backed by nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. And that's what they have, you know. I like Carol Quigley, who talked about, again, the conspiracy of the pyramid on the dollar bill, which folk laugh at, isn't it? Amazing. He'd been trained how to ridicule things which he should be ridiculing, because Quigley himself said this is a, a symbol used by societies for thousands of years ago. And he says, why is that on the dollar bill? Why is it on the dollar bill? Hmm? And then above it, you, 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 that was missed the part too, when you, and God we trust. And I remember, too, when the, the chairman of the, of the banking systems, the Federal Reserve and so on, during the, the, the little pretend inquiry that they had after the last crash in 2008, you actually got up and you'll see him and talking about it. He says, he says why, why did you let things happen, even the big ones and the big banks that allowed these, these flippings of, of, of mortgages to go on, like millions of them, until they couldn't even keep track of them anymore? It was a, a free-for-all, basically. And he said, well, he says, well, he says, we're doing God's work. This is very, very relevant, you understand this. Very relevant indeed when you're dealing with a society that you can't even figure out. We're doing God's work. Really? Hmm. But if you mention that, you're a conspiracy theorist, eh? I guess he's just a religious guy, and somehow God says to him, you take care of the banking system for America. Mm. Maybe that's what it's supposed to be. The signs and symbols and the language is all around you every day of your lives, and folk can't even read it. 
But uh, yeah, that's what was said, all right. So there's from Quigley saying that about the deposit on the dollar bill to one of his students, to again the head of the Federal Reserve saying the same kind of thing uh, after the bank crash, doing God's work. You have to ask, what, what God are they talking about here? I mean, they're obviously meaning something, right? Which one are they talking about? Because hmm? the term God itself is very generic, isn't it? You'd apply it to any, any deity at all. And that's probably the purpose of saying God we trusted and wanted to know what they're talking about. But yeah, we, we live in a, a system. It's an amazing system. It's got nothing to do with democracy or, or republicanism for that matter. Apart from the fact it rules over you. And it's been on the go for an awful long time. I remember when the, the supposed Russia fell. It was quite interesting. It was the, the way it was presented to the public. Oh, they, just, they just gave up one day, just like Blast from the Past at the end of the movie, uh, where the actor says, uh, oh, the Russians just gave up, did they? He'd been living in an underground shelter for years. He didn't know. He thought it was all real. He thought a war had started, and so he got locked down there with, with his wife and the son. A comedy, a good comedy. But at the end, uh, the dad says, he says, oh, they just gave up to do yeah, that's what happened. Just like that, they just, just gave up and went home. And, yeah, really. And of course, it didn't happen just like that either, did it, when it just supposedly collapsed. And you had to read the, the speeches given by Gorbachev to the Politburo and to the public that was published when it happened to get an idea of what was going on there. But I remember... In the newspapers afterwards, apart from the scandals of the richest folk on the planet run out of Russia, they plundered it pretty well uh, over a long period of time, 70-odd years. But the, the occult stories, the stories of the occult came out, and the trends, you know, and they said, oh, we're, we're fascinated. We always thought that the Soviet Union was, was scientific and, and purely, purely, you know, uh, earthly, basically, made secular. And we're surprised to find that even amongst the officer class, uh, right up to the Politburo level or the, or the, or the, the military, up the top of the general levels, so they and their families were often into occultic stuff. It wasn't just reading fortunes, that was part of it, but literally into And it was, it was Kabbalah they were into. It was quite fascinating. It was printed in different newspapers and it became a topic, a conver- one of these fleeting conversation uh, type of things that folk get dished out once in a while and then they all forget it. But so even there, they had uh, they had their, their, if you want to call it, their, uh, what the communists would have said, but else the rest of the world, their superstitions, if you touched on any any kind of religion, <laughs> yeah, they were doing themselves, and I'm not really surprised. Yeah, they, they, they had their same. Don't forget that Trotsky was a great admirer, and he became a Freemason, and he he was writing he, in his own memoirs. He was he was writing a, a, a tome of a. Uh, a compilation about masonry. Uh, he's, he admired it so much for his for its ability to to cut across laws and regulations, and that's part of it that masons are taught. You know, whatever you need, we can get cut red tape and get things done, etc. And and when he was getting escorted out of Russia at that point, when he eventually ended up in Mexico, I think it was, he was escorted out of Russia across the border, and he was he was just so impressed at the fact that the the Russian guards didn't have to stop at any border uh, checkpoints and show IDs or anything. They just gave little little signs, and, and it was recognised by the other guards of the other countries on the way. And it was all all Freemasonry. That's what he realised. Very impressive. Eh? That's in Trotsky's own book. Eh? But 
Yet in fact, it don't really matter, does it? Do they? Anyway, here we go. Here's another little talk here. Well, so quickly, as I say, mentioned it, and, and we should think of these things. It's awfully important, really. In an unprecedented monetary overhaul, the Fed is preparing to deposit digital dollars directly to each American. There's another article here, too. Then I was also putting up uh, uh, other ones at YouTube in a minute or two. But before us do that, YouTube now adds fact-checked information panels above search results in the top in the UK to stop the spread of misinformation on the video platform. Uh, total censorship across the board, eh? on a much bigger scale than Russia ever could have done it from the Bolshevik era onwards. And now you're seeing the real purpose of it now. You know, you give you 20 years of playing yourselves and and getting addicted to it, and then they start bringing all the regular, until they'll train you, because most folk will stay on it, you see. They know that. So UK users will see boxes above the YouTube results when they search certain topics, and the boxes will provide reputable and independently fact-checked information. Really, reputable. Google-owned platform has increasingly been targeting bizarre misinformation. Really, wow, imagine that, eh? Perhaps the mail online. It could include subjects that have recently been mired by damaging conspiracy theories such as 5G, vaccinations, or conspiracy, and the current coronavirus pandemic. Panels will, in fact, uh, include fact checks for trusted organizations such as the BBC Reality Check. There you go, BBC. You can trust BBC. Uh, Full Fact is another one. Ferret Fact Service. And fact check NI, it says here. And the social media and wider inter- internet platforms have been criticized over their approach to combating misinformation. See, even that's not right. This is not misinformation. Often, the, the, their answers to things are often the misinformation. It's, you're living in an amazing totalitarian tyranny right now. It's just astonishing. Really astonishing. I've seen some of the other ones doing it on the print media. And uh, the so-called authorized fact checkers, they'll take a topic, but they won't answer it or counter it. They'll, they'll just go try to go around it and say that's terrible, that's wrong, but they won't tell you why it's wrong or how it's wrong or anything else or prove it. See, it doesn't matter. It's a tyranny you're under. This is absolute tyranny, no doubt about it. Well, I'll put that one up too. And then another one too is, um, yeah, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter adopt uniform hate speech standards for censoring context. So it's a uniform. So I guess it's one organization at the very top that decides what's right and wrong for them all. Hey? There you go. And it says, with the next presidential election less than two months away, the world's largest internet and information companies have reached an agreement to adopt a single set of criteria for identifying and removing supposedly hateful or bullying content from their platform. You understand that this, this is, this is tyranny, folks. So on Wednesday, the World Federation of Advertisers, WFA, announced that the online giants have agreed to adopt a common set of definitions for hate speech and other harmful content, content and to collaborate with a view to monitoring industry efforts to improve in this critical area. It says it follows months of advertisers' pressure. This is what they've done in years gone by, I can remember, where these certain organizations, very wealthy, would hammer away at newspapers if they printed anything they didn't agree with, didn't like, and they would would threaten to withdraw all advertising from them. That was what they did. So this this shows you again, eh, that big money has the ability to decide what you're going to say, not say, or even get a say at all, or what you're going to have any say about (laughs) and not about.
So there you go. It's a standard technique that's been used from the 1920s, actually. And, uh, and here it's all across the internet now as well. And here's from someone who knows it all. It's Helena Handbasket. That's where we'll end up. And it says here that uh, Kieran O'Connor, writing for the journal, uh, claims to be a researcher investigator with the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. So it's is an important part of a propaganda hey? uh, institution. Institute for Strategic Dialogue, a London-based think tank that works towards powering solutions to extremism, disinformation, and polarization. And it says, and, and it says by lying about them, <laughs> that's what's been added on. But it says, he is in fact nothing more than a pathetic propagandist playing cover for mainstream media lies and deception over the COVID-19 hoax pandemic. Does it by using the age-old technique of smearing anyone who believes in free speech, freedom, and right to make their own choice choices, right-wing extremists. And by that definition, he is therefore a right-wing extremist, as he believes in wearing masks, social distancing, and in general, the stripping away of all rights which every human being has. He has a right to voice that opinion, and has done so publicly in an online mainstream virtual rag to propagandize fiction over facts, whilst clearly hypocritically claiming to seek truth in media reporting. This creature is a coward something endemic in so-called journalistic circles of our era. They're pathetic mouthpieces for tyrants and liars to the public and themselves. They don't care when I also about factual information, even when that factual information comes from their own authorised sources. And it says on the issue of mass, to give a very simple example, it states in English on the packaging, and it does too, <laughs> that these masks do not protect the wearer from viruses and should not be used for that purpose. Where's the ambiguity in that? It's quite clear, right? Where's the right and wrong? Where's the right-wing extremist diatribe? Where's the lie? Where's the misinformation or disinformation? Right now in Ireland, government psychopaths such as Stephen Donnelly, Minister for Health, uh, he scored out and called death, would have the nation believe that the mythical second wave of COVID-19 is lurking around every corner and wet bars in Ireland just waiting for unsuspecting human habitats to get close for 15 minutes at a distance of 2 metres or 6 feet 8 inches in imperial measurement with a mask because the virus knows what jurisdiction it's in. It's true, it does, doesn't it? It can also tell the time and know what time certain stores open and close and presumably what special foods people have eaten to see if they are more prone to infection. Perhaps we'll need to carry bulbs of garlic to ward off this clever little creature known as COVID-19, which seems to be vastly more intelligent than the politicians and the media supposedly hunting it down. Certainly more so than a pathetic Karen O'Connor, who would appear, uh, would not know the factual information if the loose of COVID-19 virus whispered in his ear. Oh, there you go. It's a pathological liar virus which permeates every mainstream rag in terms of broadcasting and publication in print and online in Ireland today. And across the world have sold their souls to the evil of the World Economic Forum and others to do their bidding for them to bring about their promised green utopia, which, once it's done with these useful idiots, will slaughter them without a modicum of regret and possibly use their remains as fertilizer, which is no joke, by the way. What else would you do with manure? There you go. So I'll put these articles up. But that's, uh, that's not a bad one again. That's Nari Sentinel by Helena Handbasket. That's where we're all going.
And this one here, the hard road to world order. It was quite interesting. This, this is a, a while back. It was a volume 52, number three, I think it was. 1974, Foreign Affairs. That's, that's the Council Foreign Relations Foreign Affairs magazine. And it goes through, again, the, the world system and, and how folk aren't quite willing to give up their freedoms and, or their nationalities or sovereignties and nations and stuff. And it talks about the, the, you know, the willingness of the United Nations members to risk their short-term interests for the good of the community. So, you know, the, the, the wonderful phrases like that. It's for the good of all. It seems that the level of the frontier town in High Noon, where the citizens abandoned their lawman as soon as the outlaw was released from jail. And that's what folk do once you're told to wear masks or, or you get beaten up or tased by your own government, see. But this here goes on to talk about uh, the hard road to world order. They're talking about a world system of government or governing, right? 1974. It says, nor are the world's principal economic forums in much better shape. In contrast, the accomplishment of happier days, nobody now takes a major issue to ECOSOC. UNCTAD, that's the UN again. These are all UN associations, eh? GATT, General Agreement and Trade and Tariffs, or Tariff and Trade, International Monetary Fund, IMF, or OECD, as Overseas Economic Corporation Development, Coalition for Developments. That's your tax money throughout at third world countries, but there's really to fund factories there from the well-known corporations and set them up. With much hope for a constructive result, even the European community threatens to unravel under current economic and political pressures, it says. So it says, in this unhappy state of affairs, few people retain much confidence in the more ambitious strategies of world order that had wide backing a generation ago, such as world federalism, a charter review, and the world peace through world law. The consensus on basic values and willingness to entrust vital interests to community judgment clearly do not exist. For those who don't understand it, the, world, the Federalist Society is still on the go, and Hillary Clinton's a member of it. So I think that... Was it Dan Brokaw? Some of the big ones were all, are all members of it for World Federalists. That's the elimination of national sovereignty for those who don't quite know it. This, this is from the Council on Foreign Relations I'm reading here, right? Eh? And um, it's the hard road to world order. And it goes on and on about all the problems. But this is the article, if you read it, it'll tell you that one of the biggest problems that they had to world order, or giving up nationality, especially for the U.S., was his constitution. And so they talk about having to, the best way is to, to, to rather than hit it head on, they talk about going around it and over it, and, or, and just, in other words, ignoring it <laughs> and passing laws to, to replace it all by just simply ignoring the, the constitution, the Bill of Rights. But it does go into the instructive to, to ponder the institutional implications of the negotiation to which, to which nations were already committed before the energy crisis preempted international attention to the fall of 1973. The non-communist nations are embarked on a long-term negotiation for the reform of the international monetary system aimed at developing a new system of reserves and settlements to replace the dollar standard and improving the balance of payment adjustments across, well, across the board, I suppose, really. 
And it says the accomplishment of these objectives would almost surely require a revitalization of the International Monetary Fund, which would have unprecedented powers to create new international reserves and to influence national decisions on exchange rates. Again, it's money, 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 the same characters at the very, very top, the same secretive organizations eh? that were set private organizations. Running all countries, including the communist countries too, by the way. They all got their, their loans from the World Bank as well, and IMF were the, the guys who came in with the stipulations and collected the, the payments. Eh? So I'll put these, this article up. It's quite interesting up for them. Who's interested in reading it? You know, Most folk are not. I might or I might not put it up if I can find a link for it, but I've got the actual articles here. And... Um, it also go into the, the World Food Conference, for those who think it's all happening just now, you know, the crisis, etc. Last week I mentioned the organization that was doing stress tests on the world's food supply, interestingly, and the Cargill Corporation was one of them. It's five big food agencies across the world, five major ones. And uh, <laughs> the, the people they put in charge of it are awfully well known. But uh, also the laws of the sea, law of the sea, 1974 and beyond, which may be several years of very difficult negotiation. Uh, there would eventually emerge a new interna- international regime governing the world's oceans. So it's, they're going after everything. This is, this is the same organization that, was, that came out of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. They came out of the Lord Alfred Milner Group that was sworn to take over territory of the planet, bringing out one system across the world based on what they called the British system, which wasn't for the people, obviously. And, um, and take over all world resources and use it wisely. So they would decide that they would own it all and use it, and they'd use it wisely, where you peasants couldn't use anything wisely, you see, you're too ignorant. And that's why they exist. So amorphously, this and this and this, then the Council of Foreign Relations and the state side, and they also have uh, the group for the politicians in the EU, European Parliament. Uh, most of the European parliamentarians are members of it too, and that's the the, the um, European Institute for International Affairs, which is just a subsidiary of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, etc., etc., all the way to the Far Eastern group as well. It says that at some point in the years ahead, the world will move to beyond U.S.-Soviet agreement on strategic weapons and NATO Warsaw Pact agreement on some measures of force reduction to a truly multilateral set of negotiations comparable to the non-proliferation treaty designed to limit conventional weapons. It seems inevitable the United Nations and perhaps regional bodies will be given new responsibilities for the administration of these arms control and disarmament measures, including means of verification and enforcement, and so on and so on and so on. An international court of justice, etc. All the stuff that they're still bringing in today. This is in the early days of the Second World War, Roosevelt and... Churchill proclaimed the Atlantic Charter with the post-war objective of access on equal terms to the trade and to the raw materials of the world. In three decades of negotiations since that time, our focus has been almost exclusively on access to markets. The next decades, we'll need to to place new emphasis on arrangements to assure reasonable access to scarce resources. So the big corporations, you know, so I'll uh, I'll put that up too, maybe, if I can find a link for it now, for those who care. Most folk really don't, or other ones might just want to write books about it. <laughs> Another one too is, I'm putting up a YouTube, is um, 
on Australia. And it's about the omnibus bill. It's interesting. This massive omnibus bill that passed their legal bill on the COVID laws, etc., etc., and lockdowns, and yada, yada, yada. And it's really martial law, basically. Oh, it is martial law. That's what I won't, I won't say it's like it. It is martial law. <laughs> I'll put this one up for those that want to, to, to see it. And there's also um, uh, another one uh, uh, says um, Dan Andrews' new COVID omnibus bill. It's another YouTube one on the same thing. I'll put them both up. And you can see what you think about it. Also, this one here is it's quite interesting. It's, uh, you understand it. I can remember the talks before you were given really, really the full internet service that you have now. But back in the 90s, it was still pretty primitive for the general public, that is. But uh, they had debates amongst themselves in academia at the top, because there was in higher academia work, and MIT as well, of course, worked for the, the big agencies that own the world. And they talked about all oh, the, the problems of containing information from the public, because they might get dissent on a whole bunch of things, so that they'd have information warfare going on. It says, how do we contain it, and how do we, do, how do we deal with that? Well, they've got massive organisations, not just the 77th Brigade in Britain, that, that attacks anybody. I mean, you've got thousands of... And I've given the articles out before where the, where the, the guy, the commandant of it, basically the commander... Uh, talks about the fact they can, they've got thousands on staff working full-time and thousands more they can call up at any day at all that they need them to attack whatever they want to attack and close down or hack or whatever it happens to be. Uh, but there's many other organisations that were set up who work in collusion with them, not just the BIT groups as well. You have, um, you have Bellingcat, so another one too, Bellingcat, see? And it says, um, it's an investigative journalism website that specializes in fact-checking. It's another one, is it fake news or not fake news? So they're the fact-checkers. You see, just appeared when uh, they were attacking Syria. You know? But their job initially was to try to, to, to show the, the public of the world that Syria had been using chemical weapons on its own people, which, of course, other things since they found that it wasn't folks. It was the attackers who were using the darn stuff. But that's what was found out to do, to convince the public we should go to war and demolish Syria, you see. So it began as an investigation of the use of weapons in the Syrian civil war, right? And uh, its, its report on the war in Donbass, including the downing of Malaysia Airlines Flight 17, the El Junquito raid, Yemeni civil war, the Skirpal poisoning, all the things that are very, very iffy. <laughs> And a mass killing by the Cameroonian army have attracted international attention, really. Hmm. So this Elliot Higgins started a blog under the pseudonym Brown Moses, it says, through which he published his research into the video footage of the Syrian civil war. So right off the bat, you get the clue there. This was set up as a propaganda outfit, but now they're also using them, just like the Brigade, you know, 77 and, and many other groups. Uh, to, and, and Google now as well to, to attack anybody who has different opinions on what's going on. They've lots of them out there. Lots and lots and lots of them out there. The elite don't sit back and let things happen. They plan in advance. And, uh, and folk never really fathom that out at all. They can't, you know. And in the media, of course, the newspapers have got terrible names. We'll put out occasional stories that, that's taken off and, and could never be disproven, you see. 
So they'll, they'll carry a few a few of those ones because everybody else is carrying them to try to seem more legitimate again. And folk fall right back into it and just ignore them. You can't trust them because how can you trust how can you trust them when they're lying? When do you trust liars huh? who are known to lie to you? When when do you start trusting? Never is the answer. To it. <laughs> Never. Well, don't you want this little bit of news? This is a good bit of news, you know. It's like people. Here's the thing too. Uh, you, you have no idea. How intelligence agencies again set up uh, Patriot Radio years ago in the 60s, 50s and 60s in America, as an example. Uh, Britain, of course, had lots of programs from, from on the BBC radio, even during World War II. As I say, the, um, George Orwell talks about so MI5 ran a lot of the organizations that he was on, and many of the other announcers as well. But Today, uh, you've got all these supposedly independent uh, check, uh, fact-checkers, you see, that they've just got the credence for it. And who gives them the credence? Well, they're authorized by government. Well, we trust these people to give you good and partial uh, advice on what's legitimate and what's not legitimate, you see. This is, this is standard tyranny, isn't it? It's so standard, it boggles the mind. And it's put across in the same way as, well, these are reputable people. You know, we say so. <laughs> And folk believe it, but but you're, you're living through incredible censored tyrannical times right now, and and but it tells you too, it's so huge. This isn't just for COVID, folks. This is for your whole life long now, on the internet and everything else, as you get monitored and tracked and traced and completely utter, utterly dissected and analysed. Like you, most folk don't even know that they're being analysed. They take it all for granted, unfortunately. But yeah, when do, you, when do you trust a born liar? And folk don't know that. As I say, the CIA set up the so-called alternate media to try to counter the Soviet propaganda. You can, you can see the sense in it years ago, if you, if you believe in up, on the up and up, that you would put out uh, counter-propaganda. Because um, after all, it's always a battle for the minds, isn't it, from all sides. Believe us, we're the good guys. But you have the... You have a legitimacy, you always think, and it's true. When you're, when you've, you've obviously got a, got a real tyranny on the go. This monitoring is people, but then in Britain they were doing the same thing in a quieter way, much quieter way. Business is a battle for the minds of by those that own you. Really, I don't care what era it is or what system or, or side you're on. But they did set up the, the counterbalance to communism, and they use a lot of Christian. Organizations initially, uh, who could also bring people into the fold, you might say, the Christian fold, by using uh, Western propaganda to counter all the communistic, atheistical propaganda. And there's a lot, and what's true too, is a lot of Christians across the solar block countries uh, and, and living in dangerous times because the communism, which is a front again for someone else that utterly hates Christianity. I mean, utterly hates it. Uh, um, communism was was horribly atrocious to Christians when they caught them for anything at all. So much so that the, the, the horror stories are are still valid and and, and verifiable and horrible to date to this day. Which happened? What happened with them? They hated these people. And it wasn't just killing them, it was utter, extreme, long, drawn-out torture for days, weeks, and months at times. 
utter hatred and contempt, a demonic, really, attack on them. Uh, so folk literally had secret meetings in their homes, sometimes for special occasions, and had children outside looking, watching for the, the people who would report them. They knew people in different areas that were all appointed to be there, coming in as neighbours, new neighbours that would be really working for the government as spies. That was standard stuff. We have it here in the West too, by the way. They pay civil servants to retire extra cash, live in certain areas, and they start up little NGOs themselves. It could even be for pets or something, something like that. They get to know everybody and get the gossip. This is standard stuff. Again, you find that Jack C. Lowell, the philosopher, the French philosopher, is dead now, but he, um, he talked about that in his books on propaganda and surveillance as well. And in surveillance, they say, said that you, everybody had Cardex systems. That was the card system. And these big rotating cards and a wheel type thing that they used to have. And he said, he says, they were all your data. This is from 1950s on in the European countries. And he gave France as an example. Britain had them too. On every single citizen, whether or not you'd been in trouble, made no difference. They had all the, they had gossip as well as all the data on you, or details. Actual gossip added in, which meant they had people throughout society collecting the gossip, folks. And you think you're free, yeah? That's why you fight harder, you think you're free. <laughs> in the Soviet system, they couldn't even hide that so much. It was just so overt, you see. So, here's an article too to do with. The Bay Area, California, says employees will be required to work from home three days a week after the pandemic to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. There you go. See, what did they say? The World Economic Forum and the Club of Rome, no one would be allowed to open up and go back to normal. Not to fulfill the criteria for sustainability, etc. You see? And we can fulfill all our climate control agendas through the COVID. Well, here you go. Here you go. Mm-mm-mm. See, no one would have voluntarily closed for any reason, <laughs> but mandated by law for COVID. And, but then, so now you can't open up. It's good. Hey, these guys had it all worked out, didn't they? And so the new proposal would, co- would require Californians to work remotely three days a week. And a number of Bay Area residents, including employees at large tech firms, were concerned over a new proposal approved by the Metropolitan Transportation Commission Wednesday. Uh, the proposal would effectively ensure that sizable office-based companies kept 60% of their workers at home on any given day, a work day, to curb the climate change. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, it's, a, it's a big stink about it, because uh, a lot of folk actually have said that they have to get to, to workplaces to work, because their homes are so tiny they can't even do it, a lot of people. They get shared apartments and things like that, so it it's, doesn't matter. This is the new system. This is the the global reset, all part of it, austerity and so on. I gave a talks on austerity years ago, how it all come in, and here it's all here now. Austerity and COVID, a match made in hell. There you go. This is Britain was the hardest hit, the G7 nations, and the ex-hedge fund managing millionaire Chancellor Rishi Sunak claims that the UK tanked so badly because social activities like eating out, going to the cinema, shopping, comprise a much larger part of the economy than they do for most of our European comparative countries. Then they go into the statistic thing about whose who's, uh, economy had fallen the most and so on. I, I'm very skeptical of stati- it's, it's like the virus. Statistics are just like the virus. It's very political. <laughs> political statistics. 
There's quite something. I'll put this article up though for the one to see. So it's pushing for a new austerity. The Fiscal Studies Institute um, reported that an awful lot of austerity was baked in to the, t- the Conservatives' supposedly generous manifesto in April this year. Millionaire Boris Johnson said, I think this government will want to encourage that bounce back in all kinds of ways, but I've never particularly liked the term austerity, and it's certainly not part of our approach. Notice that Johnson said he didn't like the term, not the practice. <laughs> I'll put these articles up. We're all going into austerity because that's what the UN wanted years ago. And they put out lots of proclamations about the coming austerity in a post-consumerist society. And folk were laughing. I used to give the talks, oh, they couldn't make you be austere. Well, here you are, folks. You're all broke. <laughs> if you're not completely broke, you surely will be. And even if you've got some money, you won't be buying anything without recommendation and permits, etc. Digital tracking, folks, eh? So it's all about another foreign affairs one, too, is the future of the liberal world order. Interesting article. 2011, this came out. As we internationalism after America. Did you hear what I said? This is the, the big so-called advice think tanks that advises governments. That's the boast that they have. They're the establishments group, you see. And it says, the future of the liberal world order, internationalism after America by John Eikenberry, May, June 2011. And it goes on to say, and I love how they, they, they pad their stuff. These, these characters love to impress you with the vocabulary so much. They, they'll pad it so much, you know, just, just maybe they get paid by the word, I don't know, the line, I don't know. But it says there's no longer any question that wealth and power are moving from the north and the west to the east and the south and the old order dominated by the United States and Europe is giving way to one increasingly shared with non-Western rising states. But if the great wheel of power is turning, what kind of global political order will emerge in the aftermath? Now, I'll just add to it this character darn well knows that, that the west and the north funded all the other countries through the GATT treaties and the free trade treaties. We funded them to come up. We gave all our factories. We paid for the factories to be shipped offshore from our country, to uprooted, lock, stock, and bar. We paid for all to come and move, and, and the corporations to, to China and the Far East. Come on here. He won't mention that in this one, will he? Like it just happened by itself. No, it didn't. So you, now you don't have the work. You, you haven't had the work since then. <laughs> Says some anxious observers argue the world will look not just less American, it'll also look less liberal. Not only is the U.S. preeminence passing away, they say, it, but so too is the open and rule-based international order that the country has championed since the 1940s. In this view, newly powerful states are beginning to advance their own ideas and agendas for global order, and a weakened United States will find it harder to defend the old system. The hallmarks of liberal internationalism, openness and rule-based relations enshrined in institutions such as United Nations (laughs) and norms such as multilateralism could give way to a more contested and fragmented system of bloc spheres of influence in mercantilism or uh, networks and regional rivalries. So So there you are here. This is all by the big think tanks that plan things. The same guys that draft up, by the way, the free trade agreements to give you all your factories abroad. And for you, you fund those same factories and corporations for 15 years minimum every year to make up for any losses incurred because of the move to the Far East. 
that can be renewed again at the end of the 15 years. Isn't that wonderful for the big rich boys eh? and gals? So here you are. Eh? What's interesting too, they give you the, the, the post-war settlements. You see, a succession of post-war settlements such as Vienna in 1815, Versailles in 1919, Yalta and Potsdam in 1945, and the U.S., Soviet, and European negotiations that ended the Cold War and reunified Germany in the early 1990s, allowed the great powers to update their principles and practices of their relations. Through war and settlement, the great powers learned how to operate within a multipolar balance of power system. Over time, the order has remained a decentralized system in which major states compete and balance against one another, but has also evolved. The great powers have devolved principles and practices of restraint and accommodation have served their interests. They're talking about them as though they're living entities. You know, the corporations rule you over you. They have for your whole life long. Big, massive international corporations. And then you have all these huge, uh, um, <laughs> what would you call them actually? As I say, it's very much like the organizations that Blofeld was in in James Bond movies, like Spectre and so on, that um, literally were set. You know, they're, 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 they're massive cartel systems run by gangs. And they can raise countries up and, and, and dissipate. As George Soros said when he put the article in the newspapers, boasting about how he, he collapsed Britain's economy at one point by doing bets. And between his pals, you see, I said, I phoned him up. He says, we, we made the deal and, we did, and they, they, they did an investment which completely broke the bank, as they say. And Britain had to borrow millions and millions of pounds to try to float the economy again. There's, there's no law against it, apparently. Yeah? Really, or is, or is this because these same characters, like Soros, they, are, they already own the system, meaning that the legal system as well, since there's no laws to stop them from doing it. Is it the same thing? I've not, I said, how come after all these bank crashes, no one gets arrested for what they've done? Each time it happens, it's still no laws, still no laws, still no laws. They keep saying, oh, we're putting new laws in No, they don't. No, they don't, folks. We're run by a huge gang, aren't we? Anyway, I'll, I'll put this one up too, but the liberal order, etc. And um, it's, it's quite amazing. What, you really, what you're looking at when it comes to the, you're giving these settlements from Vienna onwards all the way up to Potsdam and so on, in the Soviet Union as well. What they're telling you is that the big money boys of the planet make these new arrangements after the big wars, which they profit from massively. That, that allows them to do international gangsterism better, as far as I can see. That's what it is. Well, there you go. But I'll put it up, and um, those who want to go through it. Also, there's at the moment Louisville gunman, uh, says 26, waves his gun around after firing 14 shots at cops. You actually see it, eh? Injuring two during the first night of Breonna Taylor protests as the BLM demonstrators take to the streets for a third night and claim sanctuary in a church. That's that, um, it's almost a new age issue. It's a Unitarian church, yeah? But it says that um, they actually see the guy, uh, this, <laughs> pulling this, this they, they got the photographs of the guy and everything. He, he started firing off, I think, the whole clip into the police uh, direction. He, he hit two of them. At least two that we know of so far, in a way. But 
it's astonishing as for going just nuts thinking they've got the rights to start slaughtering people uh, because someone else gets hurt and the answer is to, to pick anybody of, of any other race and kill them. And, and apart from that too, you've got characters at the top that, that are giving these youngsters the idea that it's, it's free reign on white people. It's terrible. I've got articles here, don't even you mention them, of, of white families getting bumped off over the last month, in fact. Even Mennonites, yeah? whose, whose vehicle broke down or changed in the tyre because, you know, well, they got robbed as well. But the fact is the these gangsters eventually turned around and eventually just killed them anyway. And they had five kids there. There you go. This is a good article, by the way, and it's from May the 15th. And Whitney Webb, who does really good investigative journalism, has this article, Head of the Hydra, The Rise of Robert Cadillac. Cadillac, it's called. Interesting name, Cadillac. Not Cadillac, but Cadillac. Very similar, and it says uh, last Friday a group of Democratic senators demanded that the Department of Health and Human Services, Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, <laughs> I like the name ASPR, like the uh, anachronism Asper, uh, you know, Robert Cadillac actually disclosed all his personal financial and political ties in light of new reporting that he had failed to do so previously after it was revealed that he had failed to note all potential conflicts of interest on his nomination paperwork. Right? So he's member of this. He is the, for the Health and Human Services, HHS, Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response. The important question published last Monday, and that link is here too by the Washington Post, detailed the ties of Cadillac to a man named Fuad El Hebrew, uh, founder of Life Sciences, it's a company first known as Bioport, and now called Emergent Biosolutions. Cadillac had previously disclosed his ties to El Hebrew and Emergent Biosolutions for a separate nomination years prior, but had not a bad feel to do so when nominated to head the ASPR. Though the Post does note Cadillac's recent failure to disclose these connections, the article largely sanitizes Cadillac's earlier yet crucial history and even obfuscates the full extent of his ties to the Bioport founder. Among other glaring omissions, reality Cadillac has much more than his ties to El Hebrew, looming large as potential conflicts of interest, as his decades-long career in shaping U.S. biodefense policy was directly enabled by his deep ties to intelligence. This is interesting article, if you can stick with it. Deep ties to intelligence, big pharma, the Pentagon, and a host of corrupt yet powerful characters. Right? Thanks to a long and deliberate process to introduce biodefense policy driven by Robert Cadillac and his sponsors $7 billion worth of federally owned vaccines, antidotes and medicines held in a strategically arranged prepositioned across the country in case of health emergency. This is emergency preparedness box. Are now in the hands of one single individual. These repositories would comp- uh, compose a strategic national stockpile at the exclusive domain of HHS, Asper, a post created under Cadillac's watchful eye. So he'll brush it through. 
and tailored over the years to meet his very specific requirements. From this perch, Robert Cadillac has final say on where the stockpile's contents are sourced, as well as how, when, and where they are deployed. He's the sole source of procurer of medical material and pharmaceuticals, making him the best friend of Big Pharma and other healthcare industry giants who have been in his ear every step of the way. It's a good article, actually. It just shows you how these characters can create organizations for what-if scenarios, then end up heading them, and then being the purchaser, decide who gets all the grants from some of taxpayers' money. eh? And it goes on and on and on. It's the story of how a former U.S. Air Force flight surgeon, it's true, I think there's two of them at the top. I remember reading this a bit before. There was two of them at the top. One of them was uh, maybe a dentist or something. And they end up getting a position like Fauci, you know, give that, that level, maybe even higher. But it says, a story of how a former U.S. Air Force flight surgeon came to have the exclusive dealer license over the single biggest stash of drugs in the history of the world is as disturbing as it is significant in light of current events, particularly given that Cadillac now leads the coronavirus response for all of HHS. Yet Cadillac's rise to power is not a case of evil mastermind conquering a uniquely vulnerable point of the nation's resources. Instead, it's a case of a man deeply enmeshed in the world of intelligence, military intelligence and corporate corruption, dutifully fulfilling the vision of his friends in high places and behind closed doors. And it goes on and on and on. <laughs> and it says, in this th- third installment, it's a good article, of engineering contagion, and the links are here, by the way, for this engine, Amerithrax, coronavirus, and the rise of the biotech industrial complex, Cadillac is shown to heal from a tight-knit group of bioterror alarmists in government and the private sector who gain prominence thanks to their penchant for imagining the most horrific yet fictitious scenarios that inspired fear amongst presidents, top politicians, and the American public. Among those fictitious scenarios was a dark winter exercise discussed in part one. It's interesting, this is a good article. So I'll put this up too for those that want to go through it, because you don't realize, the media doesn't tell you this stuff, the general media, do they? They don't go through this kind of stuff to show you all these connections. And who's profiting off things, and who's got the power, and who's going to make more money, and Who's connected to whom, you know? It, it, it really is interesting to me, in a way, as uh, how things really work. I've always been interested in how things really work. Also, London anti-lockdown protests turned violent with disturbing attacks on police, it says. And uh, you got to laugh. At it, uh, this is from the Express. All the, all the media in Britain's all on board for a complete lockdown, it seems. Absolutely, you know. So anything that, that, that kicks back in any way is, oh, attacks on the police. But nobody I think, was arrested when they were going through their <laughs> pulling down statues and so on because a lot of them were, were migrants who claimed that they were victimized and, and these, these characters that, that these statues represented victimized their ancestors or something like that, whatever it happened. But the cops were nowhere to be seen. They were allowed to. But they're, they're turning, they're turning on, the, on the rest of the public, right? So the people are kicking back, they're fed up with this nonsense, they know it's a scam, they know what's going on. And they know that if you go through this, come, come any, whatever spring there'll be, whatever currency you have is going to be worth maybe a third of what it is now. You know that, don't you? You, you don't close down the entire economy and the food systems and all that. Whatever happens is planned to happen, folks, before you even started. So the footage of the anti-lockdown protest Monday and Saturday 
and shows the clashes. It's amazing too. Some people say there were thousands of them there. Other ones say there was a few hundred. You can't even get the, the, the general media to give you any honesty at all in anything. A Metropolitan Police statement condemned what they called pockets of hostility and outbreaks of violence towards officers. They called the attacks on the officers unacceptable and said the protesters were putting themselves and others at risk. Well, from what? What, what were they putting people at risk from? And it shows the officers with their batons drawn and getting pushed back by crowds. Eh? They got the horses set loose and the, and the mounted police and so on. And uh, stuff they've used in the Middle Ages, eh? just same old stuff. So there's a bit of, there's a bit of video clip with it too, of course. It doesn't mean much, the video clips. But anyway, the folk are saying, they've got placards up saying this is now tyranny and called COVID-19 a hoax. But that's, tyranny is exactly what it is, folks. With a, a well thought out plan, obviously, of tyranny, no doubt about it. Absolutely. And again, district martial law, there used to be five or no more than five or six. It's the same stuff. That's what emergency powers is martial law. Prime Minister Boris Johnson has admitted that national guidance may have to go beyond the current rule of six, he says. And, and see, the virus can also count. Oh, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. Oh, no, it's okay. There's, there's only five of them there. That'd be, that's okay. I won't attack them. But there you go. Oh, make it four, because one of them's eaten. He's got a sandwich in his hand. And another one, too, says, Thousands at Trafalgar Square in furious lockdown protest and police arrest 32. Funny how we always get the 32 or 33. What would you expect from people with chessboards? Went around, around their hats, eh? <laughs> a tesserated floor. <laughs> the between two worlds, the the very naive one and the, the real one that runs them all. The white and the black of them. So I'll put these ones up too. And then we'll go, this one, I mean, even ties into eugenics, as like I said earlier, too, in the talk. It's all, the, the whole idea of climate change was to fit the bill to get the public to start cutting back on consumer consumption, energy use, because energy use, you know, folk get healthier with more energy and cleaner energy and better energy and heat in the winter and stuff like that, basic stuff. And then they breed and have children, and they can't have children. You see, that's austerity. It has to be brought in instead by having less children. And we used to you know, use climate change as an excuse not to even feed you properly and so get you off meat and protein and start giving you basically the big corporations, the five agribusinesses, they're, they're, they're genetically modified vegetables and everything. You know, saturated with all their pesticides and herbicides and all the rest of it. That's okay though, that's, they tell you that's wonderful. And I'm sure all the, all the, all the, true, the true news uh, groups that they have there that, that go over all the different articles well, we'll agree with that, that that won't harm you at all. Experts have said that's not giving you cancers and things. No, no, no. Nope. There you go. But anyway, this, um, this is called the Eugenic Problem. It says Modern History Project. Stuff I've read before, years ago. But th- this article here uh, was about the Eugenic Problem, it's called. And it says, in the recent edition of his journal called Global Future, the Canadian Stephen Lewis, the United Nations Special Envoy for HIV-AIDS and former Deputy Director of UNICEF, asked the following question regarding the AIDS epidemic in Africa. He asked the question, 
he's a lifelong politician. He used to be with the the Democrat with um, the NDP, you know, called the National Democratic Party. That was a few degrees left to centre, or, or left, I should say, of uh, Trotsky and maybe a few more left of Lenin even. But they have a great income, a good career in it too. And he says, we've lost hundreds of thousands of children, probably millions of children during the last decade. This is in 2006. And it says, how can it possibly be explained or justified? And that's from the, the Global Future uh, magazine, volume 1, 2006, The Ugly Truth of the AIDS Pandemic. And this article goes on to say, come now, Mr. Lewis, it's hard to believe that a high-level UN official would even have to ask such a question. First, this could be explained as a product of a covert but successful population reduction program, a program which uses do-gooder organizations like UNICEF for political cover. The reports of Darwinian eugenics programs like the British Eugenics Society and the Club of Rome have openly discussed such things for decades. For instance, here's a quote from Prince Philip. Now, I mentioned before Prince Philip is quite open because he's, 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 he's arrogant, a good arrogant psychopath. And, and, and often he's, he's rather sozzled, you know, he likes to be fueled uh, a good part of the day. And founder of the World Wildlife Fund, WWF, flagship of the modern env- environmental movement. Remember the Sierra Club too, I think it was in, up there. With the, all these organizations, are, often there's too many people, save the animals, kill the people. That's really what, what the con is here. Human population growth is probably the most serious long-term threat to survival. This is from Prince Philip, right? We're in for a major disaster if it isn't curbed. We have no option. If it isn't controlled voluntarily, it will, it will be controlled involuntarily by an increase in disease, starvation, and war. And that was an inter- from an interview that Philip gave during, called Vanishing Breeds Worry Vince Prince Philip, but not as much as overpopulation. That was from People Magazine, December 21st, 1981. Second, this could be justified by the twisted logic of elitist eco-socialism, which says that such a culling of the herd is necessary and desirable, especially amongst inferior races. Again from Prince Philip, he says, The object of the World Wildlife Fund is to conserve the system as a whole, not to prevent the killing of individual animals. Those who are concerned about the conservation of nature accept that most species produce a surplus that is capable of being culled without in any way threatening the survival of the species as a whole. And this is again, from, that was from Prince Philip, founder of the WWF, and the Chancellor's Lecture, Salford, the Salford University, June the 4th, 1982, that's where he said that. And then going back to Mr. Lewis, it says, in the 30th Annual Conference of the Global Health Council, Mr. Lewis said that Africa seems to be under some kind of otherworldly curse. We know that Africans in particular are more susceptible to AIDS than other races, almost as if someone had planned it that way. And he says, what is so intolerable about the continued funding crisis is not just a staggering loss of life so much as it completely unnecessary, but what it says about us, the donor nations, and our lamentable, incomprehensible behavior. We know what we are doing, but we do it anyway. From a speech at the Global Health Council Conference, May 28th, 2003. Just so it says here. However, it isn't the funding or climate change or or some other bugaboo that is the real source of the problem. 
village perpetrators of the genocide at resources, the ideology, and the track record of using disease, starvation, and war to further their goals. This would explain why the AIDS epidemic has not been stopped after 25 years, despite untold billions of dollars spent on both medical research and the futile humanitarian efforts of the United Nations. Consider the words of humanist Sir Julian Huxley. Remember the, uh, the founder, one of the founders of the UNESCO and Planned Parenthood. Eh? So Julian Huxley is the vice president of the British Eugenics Society as well. Did you know that? He was also vice president of the British Eugenics Society, founding director of UNESCO and co-founder of WWF. <laughs> there you go, see? The lowest strata, allegedly less well-endowed genetically, must not have too easy access to relief or hospital treatment, lest the removal of the last check on natural selection should make it too easy for children to be produced or to survive. For the hard thinking, I'll repeat that, from Sir Julian Huxley, the lowest strata, allegedly less well-endowed genetically, must not have too easy access to relief or hospital treatment lest the removal of the last check on natural selection should make it too easy for children to be produced or to survive. And Julian Huxley gave that at the Galton Lecture at the Eugenics Society, 1936. And it says, thus, even though it is quite true that any radical eugenics policy of controlled human breeding will be for many years politically and psychologically impossible. I remember reading this from his actual book at the time. In his speeches that he gave at UNESCO uh, years ago, but not this particular article, but this selections from it too. And it says, um, yeah, thus, even though it's quite true that any radical eugenics policy of controlled human breeding will be for many years politically and psychologically impossible, it will be important for UNESCO to see that eugenic problem is examined with the greatest care. See, so. So natural selection is also meaning the inferior types which should die off. It's not just elite mating with, with an elite. And so they call it select, natural selection. They're talking about all classes, all, all groups, right down to the bottom, yeah, the poorest. And so there you go. So it says, I'm sorry to say that Mr. Lewis... Or two, Mr. Lewis, or say Mr. Lewis, but it looks as though you've been sent on a fool's errand, it says, when he's still asking questions as to why it's happening across Africa, all these different things and so on. It says, the, a little research reveals that the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative, the IAVI, of which Stephen Lewis is a director, was launched by none other than the Rockefeller Foundation. Wow, I'm surprised. And heavily funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which has provided over $150 million so far. Both Stephen Lewis and Seth Berkeley, the president of IAVI, are on the faculty of Columbia University in Manhattan, which is closely associated with, nearly, with uh, nearby Rockefeller University. Joint programs include the Centre on Sustainable Development at Columbia's Earth Institute, headed by Jeffrey Sachs, who is also director of the recent Millennium Report Project on Sustainable Development for the United Nations Development Programme. You're starting to get the picture, folks. I mean, you, you, you can keep <laughs> falling over logs in your way along the path here until you figure, why, why are all these logs here? What does it mean here? Well... You can go on and on. This is only partly through the article here. I could go on and on with it, but uh, I've no time to do it all. I, I've done it all before anyway. Uh, with my own articles, actually, years ago. 
Scottish National Party. They just call it the Socialist National Party from Scotland. SNPS, that's what you call it. But the SNP caves in Nicola Sturgeon, humiliated his party force to roll back on controversial bill. This is how they give you the, the lie, you see. And it says she was forced into an embarrassing U-turn over the controversial hate crime and public order bill. No, they haven't dropped it, you see. They just amended it a little bit. You see, because they knew they didn't get the whole thing passed initially. So they gave a little, okay, we'll listen to you. We'll amend it a little bit. And it says the legislation was introduced in order to provide further protection against any hate crime relating to religion, sexual orientation, or transgender identity. Initially, the bill would mean words or behavior considered to be abusive or likely to stir up hatred would be considered an offense. The bill received a huge backlash, however. The critics argue it would stifle free speech. Well, of course, that's the whole point of it. And it tends to get worse and worse and worse. Suppose an organization comes along. They're always on about Nazis, right? Although Nazism is long gone. Uh, national, the corrupt socialism, national socialism. But suppose a sci-fi movie scenario and someone came along and you had this massive army disappeared, right? And they passed a bill saying you can't talk about them. You're done for. You can't talk about them, you're finished. Don't let these laws pass. You cannot let these pass. I don't care what excuse they give from. It's a lie and a con. Absolute con for a different purpose, because you'll eventually you find out you'll be overwhelmed with some other organization that's ruling your whole nation and your lives, folks. That's what it's for. That's exactly what it's for. It's also a communist tactic, too. It's been used over and over again as well, hate speech, until you can't, if you're stifled, you can't, if you can't see what the problem is, you're done for. Not someone's opinion, if you're telling the truth on, on the topic, no. If you can't mention the problem, you're done for, folks. Whatever the problem is, of course it's that way. And of course, uh, I mentioned earlier about the, the, these no-knock raids or whatever they call them in America, where they go in the middle of the night just like they did, in the, just like the, the Soviets did in, in the KGB and, um, and the squads, and they had two in the Stasi squads in East Germany, middle of the night, it's always the middle of the night or early morning, the three o'clock in the morning is something, I don't know why they like it, but that's what they like. And... Um, I'm sure there's reasons for it. You're, you're more confused or whatever at that particular time, generally. This is anger over lack of charges and Breonna Taylor's death leads to widespread riots. But the, again, you've got the groups jumping on the riots regardless and, and creating the riots, actually. Riots are different than, than protests, and, but riots, and, <laughs> burning places down is not a protest. But again, I'm not going to go into the rights and wrongs of of of, of, what actually, of the terminology. The fact is, you definitely have subver- subversive groups, well-funded, to jump in all this for a different reason. And they're actually saying that, it says, now, I think maybe in this article or other articles too, it says that this is a revolution. See, it's a revolution. And they'll use any spark or spike, as they call it, and jump on it to get the revolution on. The, what do they think they're going to bring in, these, the people at the bottom? Huh? Widespread starvation. They really think they're going to get a job as well, some a new type of, of um, Gestapo sort of thing over their general public. Is that what they think they're going to get? So they can do what they want and somehow they'll get rewarded for it. Is that what they really think? Well, the followers don't know that the leaders know the big picture, what <laughs> it's really all about. And you, you only wish forever it never happened very shortly. I guarantee you. When you have nowhere to live, 
when you get your water shut off because, oh, it's economy, it's for, it's for austerity, and, and you're hard to get any food supplies coming in. Huh? You wait and see. But you've, you've definitely got a revolution on the go, and at least in their signs and so on, they're saying it, and their chants that it's a revolution. It's a communist revolution. They think it's communism. Even they're, they're so ignorant, they don't even know what happened in the Soviet Union uh, or the Soviet bloc countries. And back to Scotland, Jason Leach tells Scots students they can't move back in with mum and dad under current lockdown rules. So uh, there you go. This, there's your freedom in the West. There's nothing left to save. You can't stand up and, and, and fight for, for, for countries where your leaders are doing this kind of thing to you. You understand that? So it says, um, the students who have already moved into university accommodation cannot return to live with their parents under current lockdown rules. So Scotland's clinical director has confirmed uh, undergraduate li- living in uh, living with flats and flats or halls of residence now formed a single household. That's how they're labelling you. Mm-hmm. Communal living, folks, get used to it. It might be permanent. Communitarianism, eh? That's what they used to call it for a while back. They try to call it. Well, it's not communism. It's communitarianism. Here it all is. So you're not, you're, no matter if you're about five or six to, to an apartment or room, you'll be classified as a separate household. There you go. All fears are being raised, but the rapid spread amongst young people spilling over also claimed that the spread shows, the spread shows mistakes from care homes and cruise ships in the early days of the pandemic are being repeated. No, they're not. No. No. They're not getting ill of, 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 of the tests. Not getting ill. For testing positive. The facts have got nothing to do with agendas, eh? Now, these hate laws, which can be expanded, which they're already being expanded in countries that had them longer, to include whatever is, is the latest uh, thing to be added to it. There's lots and lots of things they add all the time to it. And that's what they're really for, is to retrain you into a whole new way of living and thinking and not thinking. And a conditioned response is basically very Pavlovian. And here's an article. New poll, 62% say the political climate prevents them from sharing political views. And 50% of strong liberals support firing Trump donors. And 60-36% of strong conservatives support firing Biden donors. 32 are worried about missing out on job opportunities because of their political opinions. 62% agree the political climate these days prevents me from saying things I believe because others might find them offensive. Well, this is the game they play is with their, with their hard created armies. For every possible viewpoint they've got an army created, and they'll immediately stand up and say, I find that's offensive. There you go. You see how it's all done, though? It's just, you're not going you, you, You've got planned chaos here. Until you're in a box I don't think you'll even get to use sign language you know? Or even if you use the inappropriate sign language <clears throat> They'll probably say that's offensive as well Maybe it is A new Cato Institute YouGov national survey of 2,000 Americans Finds that 60% of Americans say the political climate these days Prevents them from saying things they believe Because others might find them offensive It's up from 2017, when 58% agreed with the statement. Do you ever wonder why they do these polls and surveys, the same odd things? You never think, you think, it's a one-off. No, no, they do them every year to see if it's working, you see. That's why these things are done. So I'll put that one up as well. Another article too, and so you've probably heard about Hunter Biden. And 
and how he's involved in some things he shouldn't be involved in, and so on. Big money. It's just so corrupt. The whole system seems so corrupt. But again, if it's legal, there's no laws against it. I guess it's not corrupt at all. Eh? As his Senate GOP claims John Kerry falsely denied knowledge of Hunter Biden, and Hunter Biden got $3.5 million wire transfer from the Russian billionaire. A report reveals in GOP senators released explosive report on Hunter Biden and Burisma. So I'll put this article up too. For those who want to follow that kind of stuff, nothing new in it, of course. And we do know too that the, 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 actually parts of the the Ukraine and Georgia and so on are and really part of the CIA operative centres. That's why so much is going on there right now, and has been for a while. Never mind the oil pipelines and the money involved and all the rest of it. Um, Last week I mentioned microchips. He's an article, all the rage in Sweden, embedding microchips under your skin and RIP wallets because implanted microchips are here to stay, it says. And it says the wallets are such a bother, they flop around your pocket or purse swelling. As they munch on, rarely use loyalty cards and superfluous receipts. But we're living in the freaking future now, so why are we still using them? Getting credit cards and keys for irritating, irritating doors to the car and the office when technology has far surpassed the need for any of them, it says. This isn't really a big ad for it all, but wow, this is wonderful. And it says, lots of people are moving to store these sorts of things in their smartphones, of course using services like Apple Pay and smart locks, but phones can be lost and so on. So, a lot in Sweden anyway, about 3,000 Swedes so far are opting for something even more invasive. It says, uh, according to the Associated French Press, it says, the chip essentially acts like a digital keychain. They get it implanted in your hand, generally. It's a way of sending information wirelessly from a passive chip to a reader, but only when they're about four centimeters apart. You might have heard of radio frequency identification or RFID. The NFC is a more sophisticated form of it. So they also have active ones as well. A chip in the hand can help people do things like sign into the gym. It's just so much. It's just too much a hassle signing in, you know. Unlock doors to cars. It's just uh, putting a hand out and turning that hand. Oh, it's so tiring. And make credit card payments. Over time, as the technology progresses, implement will be able to do even more. This is like a repetition of the stuff that that uh, professor was doing in England uh, at Warwick University. Or was his name work? I can't remember. But anyway, he, he, he was a big one to go implant, put in his arms. And it was all over the mainstream media because he's the front man for the whole project. But he's Sweden doing it again. And it's got implant parties now. Or yeah, implant parties often organized by larger companies to hook themselves up. And the chips are smaller to the ones veterinarians implant in dogs and cats so that the owners can find them in case they run away again. <laughs> But now people who get the implants aren't counterculture biohackers. They're the everyman. There you go. That's straight off H.G. Wells. They call them everyman, you know. This is especially true in Sweden, where these chips are so mainstream that since June 2017, people have been able to buy train tickets with their microchips. So there you go. And it's, this is how you're tracked and traced and where it's supposed to go. And, and the youngsters again will go, oh, it's so trendy. And they'll say, oh, it's this, this film star, this, this rock musician, you know, they got it done. Yeah, yeah. They're also eating crickets and sandwiches now, you know, insects and things. <laughs> and this other article, too, is from the Mail, the Mail Online, Daily Mail. 
Thousands of Swedes get microchip IDs inserted in their hands to swipe into homes, offices, concerts, and even to access social media. There you go. Same thing, eh? And let's see. The surveillance economy. A good article, again. A very good article. Surveillance economy. And uh, Harvard Business School's Shoshona Zuboff argues that tech companies like Google and Facebook collect so much data for profit that they're changing the fundamentals of the economy and the way of life. And now these companies are learning to shape our behavior. There you go, shape our behavior to better serve their business goals. Shoshona joins Manush Zamorodi to explain what this all means for us. It's a good little article. Yeah, you're all getting your behavior shaped again and managed. Now you'll get, you'll get all kinds of monitoring. Everything you utter now is going to get monitored and rectified. Oh, you're, we're rectifying your speech. You didn't realize what you said there, did you? We hope you didn't realize what you said. There could be a fine if you did know what you said. <sighs> UK's cheap scientific advisor has £600,000. I think that's pounds, eh? yeah. Shareholding in a firm contracted to develop vaccines. Oh, there's no conflict there, for goodness sake, eh? This is a senior Tory M- member of Parliament and former cabinet minister said he should have disclosed his interest. There you go. As in the Telegraph, uh, the Daily Telegraph, I guess, has revealed. The links are here. In July, GlaxoSmithKline and drugs multinational Sanofi agreed a deal with the UK government to supply it with 60 million doses of COVID-19 vaccine subject to final contract. A similar deal was made with the US government for initial 100 million doses. Current an investigation published today, Sir Patrick, who also chairs the government's expert advisory panel on vaccines, holds a deferred bonus of 43,111 shares in GSK worth 600,000 pounds from his time as president of the multinational drug company. <laughs> that's just a, that's an oversight, for goodness sake. Anybody can forget these things. And this other one, too, the UK is cheap. It's about the same thing, the same character. I'll put them both up, maybe. We'll see. Remember, folks, before I finish off with on these articles, I'm not finished quite yet, though. Uh, go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. List my official sites, which, which are all on CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And if you can't get it, my, my download my talk one day. Try one of the other sites because I'm, there's definitely things happening now as a step up their program to deal with folk who tell you untruths, as they say, or or false news, eh? or stuff that you, you, don't, you shouldn't see anyway. You know, like truth. You know, <laughs> that is forbidden. You can't have truth, and it all depends who says the truth, isn't it? They can use the same, the same exact. I could use the same language, the same sentencing, same word for word stuff. It, from the app, if I see it, it might be called false truth. You see, it's like a truth. Only the people that's authorized can give you the, the real truth. If you say it, the same, and even read their stuff, it could be like a truth, but not true. It's almost like the, the intelligence narratives. They say there's, there's known unknowns and unknown knowns and unknown unknowns, knowns, knowns. That's what they came up with years ago. Remember that one? You know, left scratching your head saying, what's that? I don't know. I guess that's an unknown then. Uh, so it's the same kind of thing here too. If you can say what and who's authorised to say anything. And uh, what a state of affairs and tyranny, eh? When they're, they're going to authorise people to, to give you information. And anybody else who isn't authorised 
is going to be put in prison because you said something. <gasps> they said something. Oh, wow. There you go. So remember, make a list of my sites. When you're there, you could buy a, a disc or a book uh, from me, my talks, or donate to me. Straight donations are awfully welcome. PayPal, straight cash. You can send cash. It always gets by regular post, by the way. Don't, don't register anything. It always gets you by regular. And MoneyGram is fine, too, or personal check, and any other way you can think of. That'll help me tick along. I'd like to remind folk, too, that I'm on with Neil Foster on Reality Bikes Radio on Wednesday the 30th of September, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Wednesday 30th of September, Reality Bites Radio with Neil Foster, and you'll hear two Scots guys giving a, a good chat about the state of the world, life and the universe, and everything, etc. So now we get on to these other ones. Just a couple of articles, I think, left here. I also put up an article, it was from last week, and I think it was um, a week before. Um, Whitney Webb interview, 2020 election chaos being used to set stage for the final technocratic push. Good article, because we're certainly going through it, right, aren't we? The whole agenda, technocracy, efficiency, to tyranny under the guise of, of a just society where you can't say anything that's going to offend any group that's set to be offended. I mean, they, they create groups to be offended. Do you understand that? One Down the road, one, eventually people will have to complain about the fact they can't, get, they can't buy two socks, a pair of socks at a time because of austerity. And so they're only going to get one, one sock. So we better get the, 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 the one sock coalition together who are offended if, if the, the public demand two socks, what's wrong with one sock? We we like one socks, you know. You're hateful if you demand a pair of socks, you know. They could make anything normal, any bizarre thing normal, as you probably noticed, hmm? just by repetition and passing laws and, and penalizing you if you notice it. If you have an opinion on something, what, you've got an opinion on that? Oh, no, that's not the opinion that's been authorized, you know. I don't know if you ever saw the old Monty Python clip. It was um, I, I wasn't really into Monty Python, but occasionally did a, a good little sketch and something, a good skip. And one of them was the department, government department for arguments. And uh, the guy comes in to to get an argument. He says, "Is this the department of arguments?" "No, it's not." This is the guy behind the desk. You see, well, it says it on your on your your door. And the guy behind the desk, "Are you arguing with me?" And before you know it, they're arguing the whole thing. And that's how it goes, you know, Department for Arguments. And that's what you're living in. It's, it's like gaslighting. It's, it's all gaslighting. Common, your common sense and rationale is under attack. Your sensibilities are under attack. Enormously so. To create a form of mental illness on you. Because when you are, are not allowed to use your own logic and observations then you truly have a master, a master above you that's dominating you and who's tyrannical, no doubt about it, definitely tyrannical. You can't think that, you can't say that, you can't even even mistakenly come to a conclusion, <laughs> the wrong conclusion, you see? This, this is complete intolerance. This is not democracy, this is not a freedom of any kind. 
This is conquering. It's to conquer the people by another group who know what they're doing. You know that, don't you? Anyway, from myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada, where I've had lots of rain recently. It's good nights. I mean, your God or your gods go with you. 